expired. Well, I had to make up for, you know, we're, we're, we're missing a leg. I mean, we're making up for it, but we're still, we're, we're, we're not at our usual uh, 100%. So we have to, we, we, we're, we're, we're definitely manning up tonight for sure. Huh. Uh, that is the first and last time Vince has ever been confused as having a third leg. That's true. Although, the, you know, the way he's been living the past couple of days on vacation, I don't know, man. There's, I, he's living his best life, judging. He by. really is. It's, I'm loving it. I, I, wake I don't up even know what to do. He, he hates having fun. <laughs> and, and the meals he's eating, it's like, holy shit. Are you sure? He's like, not? I had a, he's like, I had a white truffle tasting menu. It's like, yo, Guy Fieri's here, motherfuckers. So, <laughs> we, um, yeah. So, in any case, you are listening to 11 O'Clock Comics episode 557. Uh, the illustrious, the beautiful, the extremely talented Vince B is not with us this evening. Nevertheless, I am still David A. Price. Indeed you are, and I'm Billy Ray Valentine. No, you are not Billy Ray Valentine. You are Jason. What's up? And uh, because David and I can't stand when we're alone. You'll never hear the episode. It'll just be too much pawing and and purring at each other. Exactly, too much fraudage. Right. Uh, We are are pleased to have a, a... Normally, we have someone sit in the fourth chair. The fourth chair is going to stay empty tonight. But we got someone sitting in the, the, the third chair. Um, and uh, so he gets to cozy on up into the, the creases that's uh, left by Vince's butt. Because when you sit on a chair for 557 consecutive weeks, you're, you're going to leave your butt crease. Um, this is a gentleman who those of you that are members of the online part of the EOC community, our Facebook group... Our, our Slack, our Patreon community, the, the Twitters, you no doubt know of this gentleman, if, you, if not having, you, you may have met him as well, um, you certainly, he needs no introduction, but for, for the, the many, many thousands of you that just listen to the show and don't partake in the, uh, the broader social community, uh, it is my distinct pleasure to welcome to the show for the first time uh, a, a, a good friend of ours and one of our, our, our truly most... Um, uh, positive and uh, engaging members of the EOC family uh, all the way from the, uh, the, like the, the southern part of the West Coast, I guess. Like it's, uh, <laughs> Mr. Caleb Alexander McKenzie. What it do, y'all? What it do? What it do? Hey, I can't follow that, so I'm just going to hang up now. <laughs> it's great to have you aboard, man. Man, it's great to be here. Thank you guys for letting me come on. This is uh, this is a big moment. Get to step up to the big leagues for a little bit. Well, we've just met. We 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 didn't we didn't see you at C2E2. You went to C2E2 this year, and and we did not. Um, and then you rope a dope on me. I know. And then you and I just <laughs> missed each other. We were within a few uh, a few feet of each other uh, down in Florida on vacation, but we missed each other by a day. Uh, by mere mere like an hour. Yep. Uh, we were actually eating at a restaurant, and I'm pretty sure we watched your boat pull off. There you go. <laughs> and that would yeah. be Jason's actual boat. Oh, he didn't own that? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I still think that was him that bought all those pages that we were talking about. <laughs> here. No. I, listen, I, I, I like me some Patara, and I liked Leviathan a lot. But uh, if and when I ever buy a complete issue, it will not be that. 
I, I have, yes, David is. I have had preliminary preliminary conversations about acquiring an entire issue, um, and I probably would have done that already. But then that then the, the Liefeld Domino came along, yeah. and uh, the wife is very cool, but she's not that cool. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh. and then not to get political, but thanks to Mr. Trump, uh, my 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 income taxes went up. Uh, an exorbitant amount unexpectedly. So uh, the wife was like, how about we just chill on the big art purchases for a little while? And I said, all right, that's, that's when that high artist kicked in. That's right. Well, no, yeah. no. Well, the second time, yeah. maybe the last year's was <laughs> completely different. Uh, yeah, no, it's a, uh, yeah, I, and you know what? I mean, for different reasons, but I am definitely, uh, on a, um, high artist, which hurts because I see, um, we friends in another chat group uh, posting pieces that uh, that they're getting, and and uh, it's hurting. Especially when I see things like um, uh, Clayton Henry has his list open for New York and mail order, um, and that again is someone who isn't in my collection. Um, but you know, there's always next year, so we'll see. But it's um, yeah, we are. All here this evening, before we get into the nitty-gritty and get to know Caleb a little bit more, I'm going to ask our guest what he's drinking. Oh, I get to kick this off. Well, I am I am trying to fill the very large uh, shoes of Professor Bonavilla. Uh, woefully, probably not going to be able to do that. But So I, uh, I actually brought a bucket of beer that has no name um, to, to honor him and the uh, <laughs> the keg of wine that he had a really good friend of mine has a little microbrewery. He does a really good job. He knows I like stouts. So he brewed up a special kind of a chocolate stout. It's got a little coffee taste to it. It's really good. Uh, but there was only enough for one glass of that. So I, uh, I'm going to do a little bit of mix and match. I brought a bottle of Cabernet Sauvignon. Uh, it's actually the augment. It's the same bottle that I sent, okay, yeah. uh, sent David and Vince. It's kind of my go-to. It's a California 2015. It's it's lovely. It's a lovely one. Nice. Well done. That is good. What about you, Jason? I practiced. <laughs> well, this is going to be a good episode because there's some there's some kismet going on. Uh, I have uh, three different drinks because I'm prepared, and I figured I'm going to need more than a, one single beverage. So I have uh, several bottles of Guinness, speaking of stouts. Yeah. I have a bottle of Pellegrino, and right now I am, I am polishing off. I have about another eighth left here of, uh, of a cup of coffee, which I needed to, to get the, uh, the blood flowing before we, we get going. Here. Amen. Nice. How do you like your coffee, Jason? I don't know that about you. Uh, I, uh, it's a, I used to, so for most of my life, I drank coffee, uh, with a ton of milk, uh, and two sugars, but the last two or three years, I drink it black with one Splenda. Okay. Nice. Yes. Black like David's women. That's right. <laughs> Black and sweet, but I I, um, I cannot do the artificial sweetener. I usually uh, toss in a little bit of sugar in the raw. If I'm having it at work, um, black is fine. On the weekends, I tend to use um, the uh, non-dairy coffee mate hazelnut just to it, it just kind of puts me in the mood for the weekend, but. For the most part, and if it's iced coffee, black 
and no sweetener at all. There's something about iced coffee that I can just chug without any additives. Um, but if it's hot, I tend to um, need to, I guess, cut the bitterness a bit. But So it really is true that, oh, baby, you like it raw. It is true. <laughs> it's very true. Uh, I am not drinking coffee this evening. I do have a bottle of water because I started a bit early with the wine tonight. I had some wine with dinner. I finished off the um, the bottle of Mato that I had last week. Feeling celebratory, are we? A little bit. A little uh-huh, bit. Yeah. I think, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm finally getting, and, and Jason knows all too well how it's been the past couple of weeks, but, and, and Renee, my wife told me that I could have exhaled last Friday, but um, things are, uh, there'll probably be more information tomorrow night um, as far as the Facebook group stuff goes. But it's, it's yes, I am, I am feeling a little celebratory. I was after the after the wine I had with dinner. Um, this would have been a night if it was a normal night. I would have probably just kicked back with some mandarin orange seltzer. But since we have a guest tonight, and this guest has been very generous to us, um, I decided to uh, celebrate the moment by opening a bottle of wine that I've never had before. But the the label was um, very inviting. Uh, this is intrinsic. It's a Cabernet Sauvignon from 2015 from the Columbia Valley. Uh, street art bears an uncanny resemblance to winemaking for both. The environment affects the final art, resulting in a collaboration between artist and landscape. This is, um, it's, it's on the dry side, which is great. Uh, it's not very sweet at all. Um, I had a sip earlier, and I was really blown away. And, you know... Like comics, sometimes you cannot judge a wine by its label. But in this case, I um, I looked out. And, and when I finish this glass, I will probably, so I can stay um, coherent and click the right buttons when we are done recording, I, am, uh, I have a nice bottle of water waiting for me. So that's, uh, that's pretty much where I am at. And, and yeah, I'll, I might be in a little bit of a... Of a chippier mood than I have been the past couple weeks, as as this love it continues. So we'll um, that makes me really happy to hear. I and uh, we have to uh, mention that uh, this episode is actually brought to you all by our amazing patrons. Yes, uh, Caleb, of, of which is is one of the preeminent ones. Uh, that is um, for those of you that are new to the show. Uh, when we say patrons, we mean uh, there is a a service called Patreon. P a t r e o n. It's a fantastic service that lets creative folk of all different types um, offer, you know, their their wares, their show, their services. Um, and if uh, people are so inclined, they can support the people that they uh, enjoy. And uh, you can you can see our Patreon site at patreon.com backslash 11 o'clock comics, 11-O-C-L-O-C-K-C-O-M-I-C-S. But it's 1-1 and then o'clock comics. And, um, yeah, so for, uh, for, for those of you wondering what it's all about, basically, uh, there are different tiers of, um, patronage or membership, what have you. And, um, you, we try and do our best to give you some fair value back in exchange for it. Um, and then, uh, things like, let's see, what do we have? We have, uh, we have care packages. That seems to be the most popular. So, um, folks that are at that tier, basically every six months, if you're at that tier, we send you a 
a, uh, a box full of goodies. And uh, generally it's uh, some kind of uh, collection of, of comic book single issue runs and trade paperbacks. And every now and then cookies. we get crazy and we throw in like a, an omnibus or something. I know I sent uh, Mr. Escada a, uh, a absolute uh, that I had in my, I actually had two of them, so I sent him that as a little surprise. So that's pretty cool. You also can get onto a private Slack channel, which uh, Slack is a really popular private messaging platform these days, and um, uh, we, we chat it up pretty much there on the regular. Um, but there's all sorts of things, including even you can um, you can be a guest on the show at a certain tier, which uh, we've had... Uh, well, we've had Carlo on as that, and we yeah. also are we owe that to another guest, uh, yes. Mr. Trip Boyd. But uh, he he has pretty crazy work work. Plus, uh, he's on the other side schedule. of the planet. Yeah, he's on the other side of the planet, usually on an oil rig or something like that. So, uh, but he is he is going to be on at some point because because I think he wants to, and we owe yes. it to him. But but yeah. So anyway, enough of that. Check it out: Patreon.com, eleven o'clock comics. Well, and uh, well, thanks. Was, What's I'll, that? I was going to say, as somebody who gives to that every month, sure. uh, I, I can I can speak on it because speak on it. You guys, you said that you attempt to make it worth your while. You guys go above and beyond. Oh, absolutely cool. above them. It's the conversations that you can have on the actual Patreon site, the extra content that you guys post, just the connection that's there, the goodie boxes that y'all send out, uh, the Slack channels always popping. And it, it really is just that's a lot of fun, and it's worth every single penny that I give every month. Oh my uh, man! So I can I can only encourage people to. To, to jump on there and do it. Uh, Much love. Where where the, some of the other Patreon people, you know, not not to not to bust on anybody else, but you know, some Patreons you you give and that's just kind of that you're appreciating their work and you get nothing back with you guys. Uh, you get you get dividends just back in 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 piles. That's awesome to hear. And, and you know, when we when we decided to do this, um, I guess got a little more than a year ago. Now we we really did want to make the point of. We didn't want it to be a thing where we just, uh, you know, asked for donations. We wanted to make it, you know, a, a something where you really is a, a quid pro quo. And uh, yeah, it's been fun. I have to say. I mean, it's definitely, um, it, it's it, there's a lot of things involved with it, but I, but but it's been a lot of fun. And it's, uh, you know, we used to have, um, you know, the message forms when message forms were a thing, and they were popping off. And then, as with all message forms, they started to die down just because the the, the the modality just just lost momentum. You know, pretty much all message forms kind of died, and um, you know, we kind of were in limbo for a bit. We have the Facebook group, which is which is often popping, but but this has been a fun you know replacement. It's much different. It's much more intimate than that was, but but it's been a it's been a fun replacement. And uh, although this episode isn't sponsored by our friends at Discount Comic Book Service, I did want to shout them out simply because it is one half of Team DCB yes. Service, Mister Merkler's birthday this week. So happy birthday, Cam! And I must say, uh, and I mean this in the uh, most platonic way possible, um, I should be so lucky to look one fifth as good as he does without my shirt on when I'm fifty. Dude, I, it's, it's. I mean, I'm so happy for it, but it's like, damn, dude. I'm like, I then then I walk by my bathroom here, and I'm like, yeah, I'll just keep keep walking. Caleb, are you uh, like Instagram friends with them on or not? Uh, I'm not. I need to be. I need to add them. It's yeah, funny well, so so Cam is. I think he's 51 or 52 now. Yeah. And he posted a pic last week. You know, of him shirtless after working out. The dude's got a straight up like 10 pack. It's yeah, ridiculous. I don't, I don't need that kind of pressure in my no, life. No, that, that's the thing. Right? <laughs> but, and, but he's 
he's been on this kick, I think, since the beginning of the year. So it's it's ba- these are progress shots. It's not like he's just showing off. It's like, hey, right? He's not, oh, he's not right. Jorge it's Jorge Jimenez, not, right, right. Yeah. but it's one of those nah. things where if it's you're just, if you're cutting felt at fifty, show that show that shit off. Oh, absolutely. Oh, I don't I don't disagree. But Ooh, it, do you uh, do you are you friends with John Arvidsson on Instagram? Uh, me no. No, uh, David, are you? Oh, I don't. Wait, what was his name? John Arvidsson. I don't think so. Uh, he he's another he's a comic guy he he uh he's been going through a transformation too and it makes me want to throw up. I'm <laughs> <laughs> uh, so sitting here drinking beer and coffee. <laughs> right? Yeah, of course. <laughs> like, I'm putting I'm putting stimulants and depressants into my body all at once while I sit on a couch and uh, talk about comics. The uh, one last Living thing for the uh, for the patrons um, since I don't think well we didn't mention it since the polls closed, but um, something else that the patrons can do at a certain level and above is vote on the book of the month, which hopefully you've been enjoying every month. Uh, But the August book of the month, the winner was voted on. uh, Votes were tallied last Friday. Uh, Your choices for August included uh, Big Guy and Rusty the Boy Robot, DuckTales Treasure Trove, The Girl from Hoppers, The Goon Volume 1, Nothing But Misery, which came in second, uh, The Invisibles Book 1, Judge Dredd, The Complete Case Files, Volume 5, Longshot, Point Blank, Werewolves of Montpellier, and Will Eisner's The Spirit, The New Adventures Hardcover, but your winner that we will discuss... Um, Probably August 29th, so in two weeks, uh, is Monstrous Volume 1 Awakening, the Eisner Award winning Monstrous. So um, I have that all queued up and ready to go. I am looking forward to it. I read the first issue when it came out. Uh, Sadly, it just became one of those books where, as new books came in, it just tended to get buried. So uh, I am looking forward to picking up. Actually, I'm just going to reread it from the beginning, but it's a beautiful looking book. I want to see where the story was going after the first issue. So there's your winner for August. In September, um, we will be, hopefully, within the next couple days, uh, Jason and I will start hammering away at the list, and Vince will probably fine-tune it and add his two cents when he comes back from vacation. But September's book of the month, the entire list, all your nominations will be, uh, all your nominees will be manga volumes which i'm looking forward to uh, right so we have we, we we've received comments and suggestions from people on twitter on the facebook group uh and we will um we will assemble those and whittle down the list See, some of y'all read a lot of goddamn manga some of y'all Damn. do and 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 again you know and and some of and, and a lot of people which is cool because i'm glad that i read some of what is considered the best of the best people have also suggesting you know, things we've already kind of mentioned in, in our, our 10 years. And, and granted, maybe we've all read one or two things at a time individually. We may not have gone buck wild on, on a certain volume or a title, but um, I'm, I'm enjoying getting everything you guys can throw at us so we can... Uh, I'd rather have more than scramble to look for things. So again, as, as you hear this episode... If there is any manga you'd like us to discuss, 
throw it at us, and, and we will see if um, we can fit it on the list of the nominees. But mm-hmm. um, all the patronage is is out of the way. I believe. I think we can now uh, get to the nitty gritty of what everybody's here for. So the comics. Yes. What are we going to talk about? Well, will you. You rarely implore us to read something, <laughs> and you you made such an imploration. Is that the word? Imploration. It is now. It is now. I think it is now. If it yeah. isn't before, it is now. If but I you can make Arkansarian a word, that's definitely. Right. <laughs> oh, that's for sure. Well, I'm I'm a Kinelonian, so. Um, all right. So so you said to us, not hey, if you have a chance, or right. maybe if word. you have time, or did you all? You said. And I quote, read Crowded Number One. I think I said please, though. I did say please. Uh, uh, I mean, maybe the, you did. Please was kind of. I think of, he did, yeah. It was, I mean, it was whispered, but yes. I, because <laughs> because as, as we were approaching this evening, um, as we tend to do with, with you know, when, when, when it's a regular episode with the three of us, we, we throw up our reading list and, and uh, try to see what we can tag team on. Uh, but since Caleb is joining us this evening, if, if there were any topics or anything that um, we could all discuss so no one is uh, left out in the wind, we're trying to figure out where they can go with the conversation, um, we tried to at least set some things up. And in this case, yeah, I, I, I threw my reading list to Caleb, and, and, um, and we uh, put today being the comic book day, uh, there really was one thing so far, today at least, that, uh, that I read that was new, um, just because it caught my eye, and I remember the solicit, uh, but yes, I, I, when Caleb this evening, after he was all settled in and, and, and we were ready to record tonight, uh, asked if there was anything specific that we should maybe keep an eye out if, if there's anything that anybody wants to talk about. And, and one of the things I read this, this afternoon um, was a new book from Image. And uh, and since I read it, and I, I, I felt some kind of way after it, I subtly suggested uh, that, you know, maybe you guys might want to read this as well. But the book we, or I am referring to, is Crowded, number one, written by Christopher Sabella, Rose Stein on pencils, Ted Brandt on inks, uh, Triona Farrell, those are colors. And um, it is a, you know, as, as you ha- you tend to have um, when certain genres or tropes become really popular, whether it's zombies or space operas, you know, people tend to kind of, glom onto that and, and ride that wave for a bit. And and we've had we've had stories like The Private Eye, like Analog. Um, Crowded kind of falls into that. And that's what I'm talking about. Crowded number one. Except it's good. X well in the regards of comparing it to analog, yes, it is it is definitely I will say it as much as I enjoyed the first issue of Analog, yes, the first issue of Crowded, I think, um, and no disrespect to Jerry Duggan. Uh, I I really, really enjoyed Crowded Number One, 
for many, many reasons. But um, I can gush about it later. I did you both read it? Yes. Yes. What'd you all think? Well, first of all, I I have to say that I don't remember the solicit. Really? Yeah, it's okay. weird. I mean, I I as you know, I I buy a lot of image comics sure. and I pretty much try every number one and then I think our audience knows uh, we we are fortunate to get uh, comps on a lot of publishers' books. Little little stunt in there, and uh, Image is one of those those companies that's gracious enough to share uh, all of their non Kirkman books with us, and um, and and so I had this issue because they send them to us, but I uh, I just didn't even remember it existing, and then you gushed about it, and I said, wait, I don't even I'm like crowded, I don't. I was like, is that like a boom book? And then I pulled <laughs> No, and then like, I looked and it I said, oh, it's image. Like it. And then, and then I saw it was image and I'm like, oh, then I do have it. And then I looked in the image folder and there it was and I pulled it on the iPad and I I don't know how I missed this, but uh but um I'll just I'll hand it off to Caleb, but let me just say I freaking loved it. Yes. Oh yeah. Um I I thoroughly enjoyed this. Uh I actually picked up the copy today from my LCS. I went down there and grabbed all my books. Uh so I, I knew this was coming out. Uh, I follow Christopher Sebel online on Twitter. A uh, really fun Twitter account. I don't know if uh, <laughs> I get a lot of enjoyment out of seeing him do his thing on there. Uh, I love this story. I, I love I love how much it speaks to where we're at culturally. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. there's an app for everything, every single move we make, to the point that you have a whole generation of people who are you know, literally making their, their livelihoods out of what they can tap into online uh, to, to do, um, to find work. Um, and it, was, it spoke to that. And then it got really fun. The, the art, it took me a minute to warm up to. Uh, and, I, and I honestly think it's because it took the art a minute to warm up. So on the first page, when you really get into it, uh, the, the pencils are very... There's not a lot of detail there. There's a lot of color, but not a lot of detail. Uh, when you get through the book, they start to really start fleshing out the characters and the look, and you get more facial expressions and uh, those minor, you know, the smaller lines that really fill out the page. Uh, so, y- yeah, uh, this is definitely a pickup. Love it. So, it's interesting that you say you had to warm up to the art because I, I think the art is the the thing that did it for me. Okay. Uh, I loved, I love, I mean, in fact, when I, when I realized that this is something we should check out and I, in depth said, read it, I pulled up the issue and I saw the cover and I thought, oh, I'm like, oh, we have something here. Um, and before <laughs> Dap talks, I'm not surprised Dap loved this issue because, um, he is married to a beautiful black woman, but <laughs> if, and when Dap ever had a pension for the white ladies, this would be his, his archetype. So, uh, petite glasses, pink hair. Oh, big booty, not petite. Big booty. She's got some hips. Big yeah, booty. The hips. Yeah. It's pretty much Daft Perfect. It's 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 not this this character is not dissimilar dissimilar um, from a character design perspective uh, from um, the uh, protagonist in um, the Rossmo book. Yeah. What's Death the? Bed. What is it? Yes, Deathbed. Yeah, exactly. She might be a little taller. 
Maybe not yes. as 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 uh, as plump, but yes, not I quite mean, as the curves often, are there. But... And everything is yes, yeah, yeah. I don't think I don't think you're wrong. Our concentric circles overlap here because I thought she was fine too. Yes. Oh, uh, she she's a gorgeous woman. You know, not necessarily my type. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, but, uh, you know, she is gorgeous. Yeah, I, and I, I love the pages when they really get into her her fashion. Those are really fun. Yep, and yeah. uh, and her bodyguard, who is also a a woman, is a, a tall drink of water, a tall. A uh, rather lean black woman named Vita, and uh, I thought she. I'd love to ask Ro if and when I get a chance to talk. I assume it's a woman, right? Assume Ro Stein is a woman. I, do not know. I think so. I'm not one yeah. of I think so. But but either way, I, I would love to ask Ro if, from a character perspective, if she patterned uh, Vita in any way off of Ruby Rose because she reminded me a lot of Ruby Rose. I thought that oh, exact. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah. Okay. Nice. Well, and and I remember looking at the character and thinking, I, I appreciate it and enjoy it uh, because she is so androgynous. There, there's that, there's that look there that it's kind of somewhere in the middle of femininity and masculinity. That I'm I'm glad we're getting that. And and following Christopher Selba and knowing, knowing some of his views on on just culture and stuff in general, I, I think he probably definitely included that in his notes. Uh, because oh, okay, he's a, cool. Yeah, he's a big advocate for uh, for LGBT. You know, queer rights and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I was same page, man. Cool. Before we jump into this to the plot, um, you did because re- this is a sort of get to know you episode as well for our listeners. Um, you know that uh, you know where all of our significant others stand with the uh, love, or I should say, lack thereof of, of comics. Um, how about your your husband? Does he read comics at all? Oh no, he could care less. Yeah, uh, no, he he you know. He just kind of gives me the side eye and appreciates that I get out of his way for a little bit every week, so he that's can do right. what he wants and I can read. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> my, my my wife was extremely happy when um, when the podcast basically that I get an evening where I can talk to my brothers about shit because it means that's just less time she's trapped in the car with me going on about <laughs> shit that yes, she hasn't read or like I don't know what these people are talking about. Like, if it's not happening to Batman or Spider-Man's not getting his ass kicked, she really doesn't care too much about it. But uh, but she'll love the movies, though. Does does Roger enjoy the movies? He does, yeah. We, we really enjoy going and seeing those. I get to explain uh, the different characters and the history to him sometimes. And, you know, yes. he, he, he likes the history of them. He just doesn't necessarily like to read comics. Um, yeah, it's the same with Beth. She And it drives me nuts because... <laughs> I bring up comics and she'd be like, "But they're not funny," and I'm like, "It's not meant to. They're not comic strips." They're not comic but then, goal. but then she's right there, salty as fuck. If she doesn't, if I don't bring her to see the movie on opening night, right? Well, and so it's it's like that's the same stories and characters. Uh, yeah, like nah, dude, it's totally different. She's like, those books are supposed to be funny, and they're not. I I I, I told my wife, I'm like, hey, you know, we can watch uh, Infinity War this weekend, and she shot me the dirtiest look. She says, "Why would I want?" To watch a movie that same. made me angry. She's Roger like, has I, that has I, that same. Wait, reaction. what? Oh, that's ridiculous. No, because everybody she loves dies in that movie. Oh she's man, like, yeah, she's relaxed. She knows she, she's been around you long enough by osmosis to know that uh, she, dead yes, ain't dead. Yeah, she should. But the movie ended, and she's like, "Now I gotta no." That so she's she's salty, and I really can't blame her because as far mm-hmm. as, as as from a storytelling standpoint, it's Thanos's movie. The movie's over. It, it ended on a happy note for him, but yes, we as viewers are like, well, that that's some straight up bullshit. So, you know, I I get where she's coming from, but at the, no, same the, time, the end of, of the last Star Wars is straight up bullshit. 
The end of the video. <laughs> We're not getting into that. We're still talking about crowded, number one. Uh, basically because of, of the world we live in. And and the, the solicit, I think, basically said, like, this is 10 minutes into the future. And it's, it's a little longer than that. But um, mm-hmm. because everything is crowdfunded, as Caleb said, because everything has an app. You can sell the shit in your garage. Yeah. For five bucks, you can. And everybody's walk a freelancer. Dog. Right. Yep. You know, I, they all I, do 27 different jobs. The same guy who's coming over from Rover to walk my dog is the same dude who's going to be able to, you know, to, to, to drive me to work in his Uber later. It's just, it's, it, it's just apps and technology has just given people a way to, to work without being confined to, to a cubicle or going to an office. Um, but crowded is, is the title comes from crowdfunding. And uh, actually, I think I'm in, in the um, in the back matter, what would be the letters page, uh, the original title they were thinking about crowdfund dead, and and it would be oh. crowd f u n d e a d. I like this better. I do too. Yeah. I like crowded a lot because it doesn't you don't have to play on words. It's just and it's um it's our our heroine will say. Um, Charlie, she, um, right away from the first page with the title, with, with, with the credits page, had me, uh, because there's a text. By the way, her name is Charlie Ellison, which has got to be about Harlan Ellison, right? Got to be, because, you know, he's all about, he's, he's yeah. a futurist, and, and he knows where shit's going. Um, but it starts off with, with a text exchange between Charlie and Vita, and and right there, it's it fucking autocorrect. Is changing it to ducking, which happens whether you're fighting or any, where it, it changes it to ducking. Holy shit becomes holy shot. It does. It's just it's one of those things. So I'm right there because I live in text. So you you pretty much hook me on the first page, and then we get to the art, which was great. But then the story basically um, there's an app um, defend and or defender and. Vita is a defender, and she uh, she has, and I noticed she has one and a half stars, uh, so she's not a very highly rated defender. But um, just like Uber, you're 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 told how far away uh, your defender or bodyguard, for lack of a better term, is, um, and whether or not, um, just like Uber, whether or not a, you're going to make that connection or, or contract sign, however you want to phrase it. But Charlie and Vita meet, and um, we find out that uh, Charlie hasn't been having a very good day. And and I love the flashback of, of Charlie's previous, basically twenty four hours. And um, we, uh, which also tells us about all the different apps and and, and all the uh, different jobs Charlie has, and. Uh, we find out that basically there's a hit. And whereas, you know, you have GoFundMe or Kickstarter and, and people are, are asking you for money to, the, the campaigns are either to, to, to bring a project to life or because people need help for you know, whatever, moving expenses, anything like that. Um, actually, this app uh, or, or, or this um, website, Reaper, is a um, the campaign is basically is to put a hit out on someone. There, there, there's there's a bounty on on someone's head, and in this case, it's Charlie. So 
there are people out to kill Charlie, and, and she's not quite sure why, or she isn't, she hasn't told the reader, she hasn't told Vita why um, she might have a price on her head. Uh, and it's a very high price at that, which impresses Vita a bit, because normally these things don't go more than, than a few hundred or a couple thousand, but um, we're, we're, we're talking about um, seven figures for Charlie's death. And, Over a milli. And, 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 uh, and Charlie's taken a bit back. But um, the, the, the bulk of the issue is pretty much Vita keeping Charlie safe, at least for the day, uh, as she decides to take the case. And I love the way it's paced because while this is going on, we're not only getting the backstory on Charlie... We're getting more information on Vita, and we're getting, we're we're, we're being caught up, and, and and getting up to speed on how this relationship is going to work. And whereas you know, instead of us being dropped in the middle of it and and reading flashbacks or, or caption boxes to get us up to speed, we're we're in it. And and I I sincerely appreciate the way this this first issue was was laid out and, and, and how we just kind of were there, there, it, there, there is no steep learning curve with this issue because apps like this already exist. You already are aware of mm-hmm. everything that they're talking about, that they're referring to. They're not using mm-hmm. real copywritten names, but you, you know what the driving program, you know what the driving app is. You know what the dog walking app is. You know what the babysitter, or the, there's just, you, you are, very much aware mm-hmm. because of the real world on what's going on in this issue. It's which is why I appreciate that that little oh it's ten minutes into the future because yeah it it's not like I mean yes there are smart cars but it's not like you know people aren't flying around with jetpacks people are still using you know like short off shotguns and and so it's it's still very much a a modern day tale just kind of turning the the technology aspect of it up to like ten and a half. Yeah, you could you could absolutely see this happening to you know tomorrow. Right, right, right. You know, um, and what was? Do you guys remember a really terrible movie that came out maybe two or three years ago where uh, basically it was they did kind of this crowdfunded murder fight club thing, and they're you know two generic white kids on a motorcycle running for their lives. Uh, I'm trying to remember, um, it was it was horrible. No, I don't. Well, good because it wasn't good, so we'll move on. I'm sorry. No, it's I, I just and and the um, I the 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 dialogue, the the quips between Charlie and Vita, um, really were a home run for me. Especially when like Vita tells you know just listen, just eat your floor food. I'm handling this, and and there are little <laughs> things like with the whole you know making dinner and whether or not you know you're too drunk, and, and it's just I and. The, the the Chihuahua makes it through the end of the issue. There are just so many little things in here that I absolutely... Um, nothing is... Really, nothing is overlooked. Especially when, you know, instead of being annoying, which Charlie could, in, 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 in any other book, pretty much from almost any other writer, depending on how she's handled, Charlie would be a very annoying character that I would not want to hear from anymore and couldn't wait someone to actually take her out but here 
you know, she gets to the safe house and, and Vita's showing her around and then she like kind of just changes the subject quickly and it's like, well, you don't, you don't look anything like the people in these pictures, you know, who is, and it's just, and it's just, you're, you're getting, Sabella is fleshing out the characters in a way that uh, is just not hitting you over the head with, hey, we want you to get to know who these characters are. And, and it felt very, it flowed very well. It, it, was, it was almost like the kind of conversation you would have um, with with people you're just trying to get to know. And I I really don't have, I, I, I struggle to find a problem with anything in, in this issue. I, I, I am not... I, I had no expectations really with the first issue, but I, I am very, very pleased with with this issue overall. I, I, I cannot. Um, I really don't have anything I, I can find fault with that. I have nothing to complain about with the first issue of Crowded. Well, I think what made it work for me so well was, like, like you said, it's not hard to follow, but Sebula puts just enough. Uh, just enough twist on on every moment. It's 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 not a, a dense book, but each each panel contains something important. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you know you, you have to watch every little move. And so if this was just a case of oh I don't know why this bad thing is happening and oh I'm a hard ass detective slash protector, you know that's not a very compelling reason to read. But between the writing and the dialogue and the the art you get these little moments where he, he tweaks it just enough that you know that there's some, some underlying issue there mm-hmm. with both of them. They're both inherently flawed characters and that there is some, uh, it, it's that, you know, every lie contains a, a certain amount of truth mm-hmm. and there's just enough of in there to, of that in there to, to really grab you and, and make you, uh, you know, keep turning the page and, and just make you want issue two right now. Oh, yeah, I agree. Want issue two right now. Yeah. Yeah, and and I will say too, in uh, deference to um, Rose Stein and Ted Brandt, um, the art at first it's pretty well. A lot of it is character driven and and a bit cartoony and, and whatnot, which is great. Um, but then they really they really showed me something. They surprised me when um, Ro, I'm sorry, when uh, Charlie is brought back to. Uh, Vita's place, and they do that cool oh, the cutaway cutaway of yeah. of the multi level house Vita's house. So it looks like it would look like if you ever have seen a a diorama or a dollhouse when it's open, and you see all the different rooms like you're looking into it. That's they drew that in a three dimensional way, and they've got the 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 doughs running through the house. It's it's cool. Um, uh, it was just a nice little little. Um, a change and and it and it showed off a different set of artistic muscles. So, uh, yeah, this this is this is a home run. I hope it does well for for Chris. You know, I think Chris puts out a lot of a very very good work, and um, you know, I don't get the sense that he's yet to have a, a massive winner. You know, I mean, just a commercial winner where he's sitting on Easy Street. Um, and, and obviously, we've said a million times that, that sales do not dictate quality. But I always root for guys that are doing great work to have a, have a, at least one of their books hit big so they can uh, enjoy the fruits of their labors, literally. And uh, I hope this is it for him. Uh, it very well could be. And I wanted to throw something else out there. If you turn back to the cover, like that little skull that's on the O, mm-hmm. um, there is an entire group of creators that that is kind of their trademark. 
Okay. Uh, so if you go on Christopher Selba's, uh, like his Twitter, uh, you can you can find them. They're they're using that to kind of. I mean, it's not a. It's kind of a crowd linking thing. Uh-huh. So it, it's showing an entire uh, little group of of creators that are, you know, you know, they're 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 friends in the real world and they're helping sure. each other out and they're working on projects. And that to me is a genius bit of uh, grassroots marketing. Mm-hmm. so to speak, because when you see that and then you go online and you see other people with that in their profile and, you know, you click it, you read it and it's like, oh, I created this other thing. You know, when you find something of quality that's connected to something else, you're going to you're going to follow that path. Love it. Um, I will also want a one shot of this title that's just from that goddamn Chihuahua's perspective. <laughs> <laughs> Especially when he's when the Chihuahua's peeing on the on the door in the house. And I mean, and there are little things like when um, when she throws the coffee on uh on the old, the old lady and and it's and and it it flies out of the cup spelling splash little things oh like yeah that. Is, yeah i really dig um and i yeah it's just they're um the aside from the safe house um there were absolutely when when we get the um the what Vita explains how her day starts, and it's basically, uh, you know, she she doesn't wake up as pretty as Charlie, and and Charlie may you know wake up mm-hmm. without a care in the world, but you know Vita's got to wake up, and you know she's sitting there brushing her teeth on the side of her tub, and and then it's time to you know to to work out, and then she starts work, and um, it, it's it's yeah, I, I enjoyed the uh, the the yin and yang of it. It's it's a um, and I like how. Because the campaign to for, for Charlie's death uh, is on for a month, um, this obviously isn't a book. This isn't a story that's going to you know be wrapped up in like three issues. It's it's um, depending on on how they want to go through time um, in each issue. Well, we're definitely going to get some more things fleshed out. We're going to get some more um, some more insight into into these characters' lives, which I'm, I'm all for. And, and of course, the, the issue ends in, in, with a cliffhanger because uh, Charlie, who may have been playing about being drunk, she still does some pretty foolish things. So uh, it's, it's um, yeah, I, I am... She's, she's definitely not making her defender's job very easy and i I really like how um which i guess can be indicative to because even though i don't live my life following ratings but i try to find out like whether it's an amazon review or a um or, or or an app uh review i i try to find out why someone may have rated it the way they did and um you know, very few times something is five stars across the board, so beautiful and great. Uh, but as I read the reviews, if someone gives it a half star because it took too long to load on your phone, well, then maybe you just have an old phone, and that's not really the app's fault. So I have to—I I, I look at reviews with very, with a very keen eye. And as as Charlie asked Vita, you know, listen, you've, you've got one and a half stars. Like, what's up with that? And and Vita's like, yo, everybody who left a shitty review was alive to leave a shitty review when all was said and done. So that's really all you need to know. And, and apparently other defenders, um, may go a little overboard with, 
the the blood and the gore and the violence and and kind of show off for the person that that's paid them for their time. Um, mm-hmm. And and Vita's not down with that. She's like, listen, I'm you're paying me to protect you. That's what I'm going to do. You're, you're not paying me to kill people. You're paying me to keep you safe. And and that's my job. That's how she looks at it. And if you're safe, then she did her job. If you think if 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 you know you're driving an Uber and if some dude's playing Christian music and you think that that's that's deserving of one star. I don't know if that says more about you or the driver, but you know that's if if the driver got you there on time and and you know, I mean you can, you can pick and choose, kind of needle down to 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 why someone rates someone the way they do. But uh, when all is said and done, as long as she did her job, then marks for you. But you know again, people kind of want more or expect more and. Uh, that's also going to um, color how they uh, how they think of you when all is said and done. But I, I, but but again, that's that's just that's a little bit as I was reading it this afternoon. That adding that little little comment just kind of really uh, told me that or shows me that 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 Sabella and, and company aren't really kind of just throwing this out there to just get some pages done so they can have another comic made there. It, it, this is, this is something that that's really being thought out and, and thought through. And, and, and I sincerely appreciate that. Yeah. I definitely think it's got legs. Yes. Definitely think it's got legs. So I, I guess on some level, we're also supposed to infer that this, this world has some, uh, I, that there is a legality to, uh, citizen sponsored vigilantism. Yeah, it would yeah. seem so. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Almost like a uh, yeah, a, a, a crowdfunded purge. Yeah. Which I think that's an important part. There's, there's something to be said about but know, I, stepping back from the comic. Yeah, I mean it's it's. But I wonder if 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 there's a if there has to be. Well, no, because she even says, you know, listen, you could have cut somebody off in traffic, and it, I mean, thank God, Ben. That, that this is not an app that actually exists because I'd be broke. And, and, uh, <laughs> oh, see, I was going to say I'd be dead. <laughs> well, that's yeah, I'd be broke sure for having be. people needing to be killed because they just... But yeah, I, I probably would be dead too. Um, well, my wife would probably think I'd be dead, but I would definitely... Um, although, she kind of gets on my case because I'm very forgiving. Um, unless you're driving. But everybody else, I tend to forgive very easily while I'm very hard on myself and that's, that's a whole other thing we can get into later but this was um, I didn't mean to cut you off Caleb but yeah you're right it is definitely a um, it's yeah you can go ahead and, and uh, sponsor your way through having someone killed that's a scary and interesting like I, I, I hate to be that guy but I've got a list of names going through my head <laughs> <laughs> Ah, nice. Yeah. Yeah. Good recommendation, Dap. Oh, thanks, man. Uh, it was was funny because I had this in my hand when he sent that message. Oh, nice. Speaking of image comics featuring curvy yet beautiful female leads, um, what should I think about that unnatural? 
I didn't finish the second issue yet. Bruh. I know. I know. It hurts. It hurts. It hurts what? me that I haven't. I know. It, it was a crazy day. And, oh, and, and it's yeah. been a crazy week. But I haven't. I just. Throwing cold water all over my shield. I know. I know. I don't mean to. Well, speak what on it. F? No, I'm not going to speak on it now. Damn. Read the so goddamn this, issue. This is one of those that I haven't I haven't gotten to either, but uh, I I don't want to overstep. Am I allowed to talk about my my podcast that I do? I'm a guest in y'all's house. house. Damn. I mean, listen, it's nice of you to ask, but of course you can. Okay, well, so yeah, my my boy Sean, uh, I, I run a podcast. I, I co-host a podcast and, and help produce it. Uh, it's called Southern Fried Geekery, and my boy Sean has been loving this, and he actually spoke about it, spoke on it on a uh, an episode or two ago. I forget which one. Uh, really digging this book. Uh, apparently, this is an Italian comic that came out. It's just now making its way over to the states, uh, yeah. and I, I'm kind of. This is one of those I, I don't normally trade weight, but I'm definitely trade weighting on it because this is one of those stories that it's so. Uh, this this story speaks to me. Uh, it, it speaks, you know, like I said earlier, gay dude living in the South. So I, you know, I know what it's like to have somebody tell you to, and not to really spoil anything, but to tell you that what you are is unnatural and that you need to go seek some type of weird pseudoscience medical treatment to get changed. Uh, and so this is one of those books that I'm going to have to like make my, like not make myself read, but it's, it's going to hit some emotions that I need to like mm-hmm. be in a headspace for. And so I'm kind of trade waiting on this to, to read the entire collection, collected edition, and just get it get it one and done. Oh yeah, okay, I can respect that. Yeah, as as, as you as you as you noted, this is a um, this was Mirka's. She did this this in Italy, and uh, because she's blowing up like my pager here in the U.S. now, um, image image is bringing this series over and translating it. So um, it, it's as I said after the first issue, we talked about it. it it's it's so good looking. She, she's she's just fantastic and um uh yeah i mean I, i'm not going to get into the to the to the nitty-gritty of issue number two because dap hasn't read on it yet but uh but made me fall even more in love with uh with with little less who's the the, the character the main character leslie yeah and i'm on mark for anthropomorphized stuff yeah, I, same. I, I love that. Same. Yeah, I, you know, some of my favorite books growing up were, uh, you know, Brian Jacques' Redwall stuff. Uh, just a huge fan of that. That I don't, I don't know if you'd call it a genre, but it, it's always fun. Mm-hmm. Well, Caleb, why don't you talk about something that you have read? Okay. Well, um, so I this this being my my, my first time uh, stepping up to the big leagues, so to speak. I uh, wasn't really sure what I wanted to talk about because they're, you know, read a lot and there's a lot going on right now. And so I thought about talking about a book, and I don't know if you guys are reading it, uh, Red Hood and the Outlaws uh, series from, from DC Comics. Uh, it's being written by Scott Lobdell, being drawn by Dexter Soy, uh, colored, colored beautifully. Uh, I'm, his, his last name is Hair Sign. Uh, I'm not really sure if sure. I'm pronouncing that right. Trevor Harrison. Yeah, Trevor Trevor Harrison, yeah. Yeah, Trevor Harrison, yeah. So if so, I apologize. So this book, uh, just getting into the the main story of it, it's taking place in Gotham. Red Hood is, he's kind of the alternative what-if version of of Batman. 
sometimes. Uh, he, he's not afraid to shoot someone. He's not afraid to kill. Uh, but he's always done that outside of the confines of Gotham. Well, he's now operating in Gotham. And he, he's he been kind of butting heads with Penguin, uh, who, you know, he's he's an interesting character. And, you know, again, without getting overtly political, the Penguin is an interesting character to read in 2018. Uh, businessman, seemingly dirty, but on the books, uh, kind of has his stuff together. Known criminal, but also able to operate out in the open. Uh, and so, reading that in 2018 is is interesting. In 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 this book, Red Hood has been working with a team uh, of of Bizarro and Artemis as his as his outlaws, and they went through an arc recently where it was kind of an analog for. The Grapes of Wrath with, with Bizarro, where he gained a high level of intelligence and then lost it and kind of lost who he was. Some really, really touching moments in that. But while he was while he was in his really intelligent state, he he kind of rewired Red Hood's uh, and the Outlaws, their their home base, which is a a little floating cube that, that hovers over Gotham, or kind of hovers over wherever they needed to be. Well, he set it into self-destruct mode. <laughs> And so it's it's getting ready to to blow up unless Bizarro can snap out of it, uh, step back into a place where he can remember where he's the only one to fix it. He he set himself up with a computer program to to run things, and they don't know how to rewire it. In the meantime, uh, it, at least it looks like Red Hood has shot and killed the Penguin. Uh, again, we know you know comics. Uh, I don't actually think he he shot and killed the penguin, but I, I question you know if Batman thinks he did. There's obviously enough there to to wonder. There's the suspension of disbelief that he may have actually done that. And Batman just calls it quits. Like he goes after him, shatters his helmet, uh, really just rakes him over the coals and kicks him out uh, of Gotham, but not before. Some really, really craziness goes down uh, between the entire crew: uh, you know, Batman, uh, Bizarro, uh, Artemis, and and this this is a series that feels like it's about to wrap up. Uh, I'm not sure; I haven't seen on there, but I think that they're, they're tying up some loose ends. And you really, really, it goes deep into the character of Jason Todd. It gets into his history. Uh, it opens the, the latest issue is issue twenty five. It opens up with uh, Jason Todd just kind of floating in water. Uh, he's he's unconscious. Uh, he's he's you know the Batmobile has been wrecked. It's in the bottom of the river, uh, and he's swimming down to get Batman and pulling him back up. And for all intents and purposes, Batman's not breathing. He's, he's drowned. Uh, at the time, Robin is speaking to to Alfred, and he's kind of freaking out. Uh, but they they work through it, and it really tells you a lot of of their relationship prior to uh, to Jason being killed. This father son relationship that they have going, uh, and and how much he cares, and how much he's willing to to go through. But at the end of it, uh, Bruce Batman tells. Tells Jason, you know, if you ever leave, if I ever leave you, it's going to be because it's going to be because you made that decision, not me. And what we get to is 
Red Hood's made that decision. He, he's made that decision to to completely go off the reservation when it comes to how he how he operates, how he acts, what he's willing to do, um, where he's willing to go, uh, and a lot of it has to do with uh, some tiebacks to his family, to his his father, and his father's connection to the Penguins. Uh, empire so to speak mm-hmm. uh, this book is it's like it, it's like a sleeper it, it, it is a it is low-key mm-hmm. one of my favorite books week after week or month after month it's it, i think it comes out every two weeks it, it, it is quietly one of the most human books especially in, in some of the former arts where they they deal with bizarro uh, and his humanity and the steps they're willing to take for Bizarro as a family. Uh, it, it's just, I, you know, it's one of those books that doesn't get a lot of attention. It doesn't get talked about a lot. Um, I don't know. Have, have you, either of you guys been reading it? I, I can't say that I have. Um, no. I am, um, I, I'm not the biggest Jason Todd fan. Um, Remember, so David's old. <laughs> it's true. I, well, because I remember, I, listen, I, I'm sitting right next to a copy of Detective Comics 527, which is when Jason Todd basically um, became another one of Bruce Wayne's wards because Killer Croc killed his family mm-hmm. at the circus, and then eventually that was retconned so that Jason Todd was just a little punk bitch who wanted to steal the hubcaps off the Batmobile because that's, that's even better. Damn, why is he going to be a bitch, though? Because he's trying to steal the hubcaps off the Batmobile. He's trying to be a street tough. It just wasn't, it wasn't working. Damn, I, oh, at that time, he kind of was a bitch, though. I don't necessarily that's what I'm saying, Jason, right? Yeah, I don't like Jason Todd as a Robin. I love Red Hood, though. And I, and, and see, but for me, because of... And, and like, we talked about in the past with, with, with any baggage we bring to a character or a title when you know if if I was allowed to I would have called the 900 number for Robin's death and and, <laughs> and so when he died and okay that's great and then he, he came back during uh, if in a crisis when, when, when that other punk bitch was punching the wall and, wow. and, and dude Superboy Prime is, is so no argument there when, but, yeah. and so but so when Jason Todd comes back and I thought it was cool with the whole red hood thing because you know he's he's pissed and all right I, I dug it and then Wagner also drew those covers but that was a um I, I kind of dug it but then when new 52 happened and we got the the red hood and the outlaws book and um I think it was uh, Rocafort who was drawing it at the time, and then, but that was also because the, it was um, basically Starfire was coming right out to saying that she slept through her way through the Titans and things like that. So the the whole book just kind of really rubbed me wrong, and and uh, so as as much as I enjoyed Lobdell's work in the '90s, I wasn't really feeling it on the DC side lately. And okay, adding that's fair. That's fair. That, that is that is very fair. Um, so between the writer and my feelings on Todd and what they did to Coriander post Flashpoint, there was just a whole mix that I just felt it was better for me to to stay away from the book. I'm glad it's still going. I'm glad people are digging it. I'm glad they've kind of, um, just given people that Jason Todd, they can, they can really groove to. Uh, but I, 
and I'm, I'm happy to see that Lobdell's still writing it and, and sticking with it, and, and I think that's great. Whereas, you know, a lot of the other New 52 books, whether it's, um, you know, Nascenti or, um, mm-hmm. or or just any of, pick any of the first 52 books that came out, and, and a lot of them aren't standing. Um, it's, it's I'm, I'm glad Lobdell can continue to tell that story. So I'm happy to hear people are digging it, but... I don't know. That was a really long. Probably rolling their eyes. (laughs) Well, and and that's, but so that there's just a long ass way of me to say no. I haven't read it. Well, so I feel like I struck out on this one. Can I get a mulligan? (laughs) You could throw another one out there. I don't think you struck out. I um, I don't either. I I really dug Red Hood and the Outlaws uh, when it started with with Roquefort. I loved uh, that they made Starfire naughty. That was nice, um, <laughs> but I just yeah, just it just fell off. It's I didn't fall off because I disliked it. Uh, this is in that group of of, of books um, that uh, I, I just yeah just just built up to such a big to read that I, I just I just fell off of it. Well, yeah, we've all got those those big boxes full of stuff mm-hmm. we have to read. But if you if you get the time, um, I would say maybe start at issue 19 and, and just pick it up and, and give it a chance because I think that it is extremely well written and especially you Jason with your with your love of literature I think that that Scott Labdale is putting so much so much literature so many elements of of these classic books into his writing that you that they're they're not hard to pinpoint I think you would appreciate it I, re- I really mm-hmm. do yeah, man. Uh, yeah, you know what? This is the perfect kind of thing to binge on when the DC ser- service, which I've paid for a the first fifteen months of prepaid uh, launches. Ooh, right. Digital comic. Well, yeah. So I want to I, I want to redeem myself a little bit because, I, like I said, I you know it's my one kind of one time in the chair. I want to talk about something you guys have, have both read, or at least I, that I know Dap has read. Uh, Jason, did you get a chance to read Catwoman number two? Oh yeah, yeah. Read nice. it they came out. Mm-hmm. What'd you think of it, man? Well, Joelle is she's that she's that good good. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and um, the thing I'll say is that she couldn't have started from bo- a, a worse position with this book, based on how salty I was at the way Batman Fifty went. Right. So the fact that um, she was able to um, pull me out of the the depths of my disappointment and how that went, and uh, get me to to come back for a second issue is in and of itself um, a qualifier of of how good I think it is. But um, yeah, I really I I I think it's great. I mean, again, I, I a little part of me is salty that she's even in this position, but um, but but putting that aside and just judging the story for the story. Um, I think the art speaks for itself, but I, I, I really dig the, the new antagonist, the new villain. Mm-hmm. Um, I love the reveal we got at the end of who she is, um, sort of in her, in her real, her real life, quote unquote. Um, I, I think Joel definitely understands the character. Uh, she's, she's strong, but she's dealing with probably the biggest emotional crisis of her life. Um, she's incredibly competent. Um, so yeah, I, I think it's, it's off to an amazing start. I, I, I think it's been fantastic and I would 
if if I bought DC art, I would love to own a page. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I actually like because because I I I felt a lot of the same way that you did about fifty. Um, but my 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 issue with that book was not the art. Uh, I thought the art in that book was gorgeous, and so oh yeah, oh for follow, sure. Following Joel over to this title was not a was not a hard call for me, and, and I really do like that they are not diving right in with. They're leaving some of that stuff on the ground mm-hmm. for right now. Uh, there, there's those moments there. Of course, she's she's thinking about it. in issue two. She goes through you know these thought processes of you know kind of you know I'm going to have to sleep alone. Um, I've got to get used to that as she's in the middle of fighting this kind of legion of cosplayers. So uh, for, I guess, lack of a better term, these actors who are encroaching on her intellectual property. (laughs) Uh, But they're leaving a lot of it untouched for later. You know, it's it's not something she wants to deal with right now. She's trying to fight through the pain, so to speak, I guess. Mm -hmm. Uh, And you're just getting these, this, it's a really fun story. It's it, it takes you out of out of Catwoman that was in Gotham and puts you in in Catwoman in her own in her own skin. She, she's taking things at her pace. It was a lot of fun, and the the art in this. I would really love to see. Joelle Jones is one of those those artists that she can draw pretty and grotesque at the same time. Sure. Uh, I, I would I would equally love to see her on a fashion based romance title and a horror book. Yeah, because yeah, you, well, I mean, it, right? Uh, I mean, Lady Killer is a perfect example of that. It really is, and fifties aesthetic, perfectly decorated fifties kitchens, perfectly decorated fifties, um, you know, hoop skirt dresses, and then chick is essentially gutting people with kitchen utensils. You know. Yeah, how far do you think that she's going to let Catwoman go? Because we we know she can, she can write these these protagonists to be extremely deadly. Uh, mm-hmm. do, do you think that how how far do you think that she's going to take Catwoman? That's an interesting question. I, I don't. My first instinct is as as far as DC editorial will let her. Right. <laughs> right. I presume. Right. However, she does it. The word shit is uttered in this issue. This this is a comic that is for teens plus, whereas Batman and Mr. Miracle... Mr. Miracle's mature, but... You're so totes adorbs, you're the only person on the planet that pays attention because to the comic book. No, no, because, because it's, she said shit, and I was like, wait, why did that... How is that even... What have I seen shit in a DC comic that's like... And and sure enough, yes, I did check the ratings, and yes, it, it's, it's... So, you're right, but I think if she were to kill someone... If she was to end a life, it'd be in this issue. Whereas, if that same story was happening in Batman, it would she would not end right. a life in that in that book. Sure. So I get yes, yeah. As far as DC editor will let her, but Joel has a longer rope in Catwoman than I think mm-hmm. Tom does in Batman. Truth, truth. What also did you think of the issue, Dad? I. It is a, as yes, there, there are some really grotesque panels, but it is a, it, it's it's a wonderfully illustrated book. I think, I feel that 
Joel. The writer is not as strong as Joel, the artist. I think she is. Mm-hmm. She's kind of. There are there are things that are playing out in the book in the issue. That there there are illustrations in the book that don't um, that a seasoned uh, writer um, would probably direct or, or, or navigate better for, for their artist. And, and I'm happy to go along with, with her growth on this. I'm not, it's, mm-hmm. it's just one of those things. Whereas, uh, the fight scene, the choreograph was, was fine to a degree, but the way, um, because everybody's wearing, you know, the matrix latex, it's, it's the, and, and just like in real life, if, if you were to see this fight play out, it, it, it wouldn't be easy to follow because everybody's pretty much wearing, same clothes so right uh but because of the coloring because of the 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 camera angles um things like that don't really make it all that smooth and and i would mm-hmm. i would think that a fight a choreographed fight with catwoman would be a lot smoother than the the panels indicated in this issue um there were uh there were some conversations that i think um may have been padded out as far as panel wise. And, and I, I get the whole pacing thing and, and I understand, you know, why, how, how panel gutters work and, uh, the kind of beats you're supposed to have when, if, if, if it's a, if it's a vertical panel, but you know, the, the tail on the word balloon is extremely long. It's because, you know, someone's put, I, we, we've all read understanding comics, but the, um, the way, whether it's, 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 Selena uh, talking to Carlos or uh, or the two officers discussing things at a bar. There were just um, and even the double page spread, which was pretty. Uh, you know, we're 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 watching Selena walk through the entrance, and and Joel took the time to draw the uh, the architecture and and the little the violinist playing on the side and people walking by. Um, but I don't necessarily know if that needed to be a two-page spread, and uh, it's—I'm sure she's—I don't know if it's been stated anywhere. I'm going to say that you know I'm sure she has twelve issues here, and, and, and that's the story she's going to tell. But um, I think when we get to the tenth, eleventh, twelfth issue, things are going to be a lot tighter, and not because she's got to wrap it up, but just because she's grown as as a creator then i think that they'll be tighter then than they are right now and uh i still think it's it's a very well illustrated book um i it's it's just it's starting off a little on the slow side for me but i'll be there to read it as 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 it as it continues so it's it's um you know i i love you so joel art so it, it's to be very difficult to drag me away from it um but i i can't say it's a um it's it's a flawless book that's fair it's funny you bring it up though because i i i thought that of her in lady killer i i thought it looked great and the writing was passable but I, and and yes, the the second Lady Killer series, I agree with you there. I thought the first one because that was a, 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 that was that was Rich writing it, right? Yeah, um, yeah. And I'm talking about the one she wrote. But yeah, yeah, the yeah. One, yeah. yeah. I, I, I um, 
But I didn't I didn't see this so far in these first two issues. Okay. So I kind of fall somewhere in the middle of that. Um I, I think she's still very much trying to figure out the character. Uh, I think she's got a good grasp on her. She's just digging into the nuances now. But uh, there was something interesting that that you said, Dap, about the choreography uh, that I picked up on as well. When she's fighting in this book, it feels like she's fighting more like a brawler and less like an acrobat. Especially uh, when she, uh, the Bigum comes after her. Well, that, yeah, that's true. Yeah, I, I like that she's using her whips and stuff. And there's there, you know there's a little bit more fluidity. To that, but yeah. when it gets down to it, it's more like you know, clench a fist and punch, and not. Uh, it's not nearly as uh, flexible, maybe, than I would expect yeah. from a, yeah. a, a Catwoman. Hmm. Yeah, man. I don't know. I. I. Uh, it's interesting that like. You know, hearing Tom talk about how Tom King, how how they had her draw in the main Batman book as a strategic plan to big up her rep because they already knew she was going to do this book. Um, it's interesting how that stuff goes on behind the scenes. Um, but but yeah, you know, DC seems to be more willing than Marvel to give artists an opportunity to write, and I give them credit for that. I think it's been a mixed bag. Uh, I don't think it's all been successful, but I think that, um, you know, she's a savvy, she's been around the block, you know, she's, she's been around for a long time. So, so I, uh, I, I'm, I'm going to be really curious to see what they let her do. Like in the context of the broader narrative that Tom's telling with this, because as we know, the Batman cat, woman's story for him isn't done now he's also got 50 more issues so that's four years or two years that's two years got two issues so it's two years but he's got two years to till he has to bring that all back together um theoretically so she's got plenty of room to room to do her own thing but that that's gonna run out right like she's only got so many issues before catwoman's got to make her way back to gotham well, so. that, didn't you say that she was doing 12 issues of this? I, no, I'm, I'm going... That's completely conjecture on my part, based on the okay. way contracts work and, and how people usually have their arcs. Um, I'm, I'm going to say that, just like Tom with the 12 issues of Vision, I'm going to say that, 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 that the initial pitch, or Joel signed on to 12 issues, whether or not they're going to just you know say this is, like Mr. Miracle, a maxi-series and be done with it, or if they're opening it up so that Joel can continue to tell his story, if it, if everybody agrees to it, or someone's going to pick up Catwoman with issue thirteen, I, I'm I'm assuming that we're getting at least twelve issues of Joel Jones on Catwoman. I think we're getting at least that. This doesn't necessarily feel like a a maxi series. No, I think it may not. go. I think it may go longer than right. that. I, I think that there are enough threads uh, tied into the into this new new antagonist. Uh, her spot in the political realm, uh, everything that's going on with these copycat cat women. Um, I think that they're, there's, there's a lot of breadcrumbs to follow here. Yes. Mm-hmm. And it, it finally, and this has no, this isn't a coincidence because Caleb's on the show, but 
it with the second issue, I find I, I couldn't couldn't put my finger on who the art reminded me of when we talked about the first issue, but it finally kicked in while I was reading the second issue. And you there was there's a comic book back in the eighties, early nineties called Captain Confederacy. And Vince, <laughs> Vince Stone, I, I say it, it has nothing to do with Caleb being on the show. And and Vince Stone, and if you look up Vince Stone and you look up the old black and white work, that that's not what I'm talking about. The when when Marvel released the when when Marvel brought back the Epic line, and it was um, it was it was under heavy hitters, and they brought back Alien Legion, and they had Saxon Violins by Peter David and George Perez. They brought um, Will Shetterly and Vince Stone's Captain Confederacy into the imprint, and the way Vince drew those issues and they're in color and I'm pretty sure it's been reprinted but um, the the line work with some of the characters in that miniseries reminds me not it, it really didn't hit me during Lady Killer but for some reason on some of the characters in this Catwoman series um, it reminds me of Vince's work back in back in the early 90s but um, that's really just closure for me because I it, it, it was killing me when I was reading the first issue why I couldn't think of, of where this artwork uh, what this artwork reminded me of but, but now it has so for people listening who, who were really on the edge of their seats trying to figure out whether or not I was ever going <laughs> to realize where I saw this before um, that's for all y'all but um, yeah no I mean I, I'm not I'm not mad at Catwoman um, it's it's you know it, it's growing pains it's 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 a big book it's in the batman universe it's not uh i'm not i'm not trying to make excuses for the woman she doesn't need my help it, it's um but that there are just certain things where and and it's you can't even really say it's, it's the whole burn effect because yes there are some panels where there's absolutely nothing going on in the background but then mm -hmm. she tends to overcompensate with the way she'll draw a carpet or 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 just you know, the background when other people are having conversations and um, I don't know, you know I, I, I'll ask Vince you know, how much of it might be done um, digitally and then she's just you know, drawing the figures on that and um, I, I don't know if she's hand drawing um, the hallway during the press conference things like that but it's still I mean at the bar I think there are things that might be um, computer enhanced and, and, and dropped into the panel but mm -hmm. no I mean it, it's still all the figures are, are progressing the story um, it's just I with, with, with two issues I, I'm, I'm not sure if I just was um, if I'm just spoiled and and was expecting maybe something a little tighter. When I got to the end of the issue, I was a little surprised that it was the end of the issue. Right, we got the two page, we get the two page spread, and then we have um, uh, someone very excited to uh, to meet Selena Kyle. Raymond Creel is uh, tells her that you know we've been expecting you, and then that's that's the end of the issue. So um, man, I didn't know you had so much hate in your heart, right? You know, I just <laughs> I'm I'm misogynist. What can I say? That was the most polite hate ever, although I, I, I'm i kind of already dreading people calling me Captain Confederacy on the Facebook See, that's group. just, you should have said bless. that, now they are. But it, uh, you, know, you know it. Uh, you, yeah, Raph's going to be the first one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes. 
Um, but to, so on the pacing note, though, I do think it's it's important to remember because it was a slower issue, but it's also mm-hmm. a second issue. Yes, right. Like this book, Show the, the right. first issue, yeah. the first issue had its its big big mind. The first issue wasn't. It, it, this isn't Fantastic Four, right? That, that there was actually substance to that. Yeah, uh, yeah Skippy. <laughs> uh, there were. A, that moment where it really brought itself out. I think this business, she's really getting down to work, uh, plotting her story. And and we do live in a day and age where comic creators, they, they write in six issue arcs, right? They, they, they write with that in mind. Um, so I'm, I'm not, you know, this story doesn't feel like it was just picked out of a larger story. Like it's got its beginning and its end, but I still think that like, I think this is where she's really, getting into the weave of what she's telling. And so that's going to be a slower moment. Um, and again, I, I, you know, it's, it, it's a fun series. I think I enjoy looking at it. Maybe uh, I think maybe the, the, how good the art does really does influence how much I'm enjoying the, the actual story itself as well. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, Please don't call me Captain Confederacy. No, <laughs> I, I, I know my my booze aren't reading this. I don't know if 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 you were reading it, Caleb, but uh, uh, Mr. Lemire's Gideon Falls. Mm-hmm. So the for uh, the final issue of the first arc has hit the stands, and I read the first issue, talked about it on the show, let the rest stack up, and read them all this week. And I would imagine a, a, a certain chunk of our audience is generally sick of me praising Lemire because uh-huh. I always do. I'm but, not one of those. Yeah, but but I mean, <laughs> the, on, just sir. I mean, he, he really is to me. Uh, I mean, I, it's when I think of all the stuff he's done in the ten years we've been doing this show, and and, and the stuff he's doing right now, and I, his his hit rate is just incredible. I I, I think he is um, without. There are very few, if any, modern day writers that, that are um, on his level um, in terms of both being able to put out a bunch of different books each month that have totally different vibes and for them to universally be high quality. It's, 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 just, it's astounding. Um, and this is another one, you know, um, I guess in, in what is no longer uh, that big a deal, it seems like it happens to everybody now. This has been optioned for a TV show. Uh, they're going to do a pilot. With all things TV, it, they, the pilot doesn't mean they're going to do a show, but but it's the first step. Um, and reading this, you can see why. Uh, you know, Sorrentino is he's he's got a particular style. Speaking of digital, he, he uses a lot of digital trickery. Um, he's heavy, heavy photorealistic. In fact, a lot of times he takes essentially things that look like stock photos and and puts. Um, like layers over them or effects. Um, and normally the way he illustrates would be a total turnoff for me. Um, people that probably would be com- other artists that would probably be compared to him for, in terms of how they construct their art are on the short list of people. I typically don't like reading comics from, but Sorrentino is different for me. He, 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 because, um, while he does use digital and photo ref trickery quite a bit in his storytelling, I don't think it's at the expense of the creativity you can have in a comic book. 
Um, he's so great with layouts and angles and um, drawing your eye through um, color and shading and different geometric borders to the things within a page or a panel that are most important. And I do think there's a talent in that. So I think in as much as a photorealistic digital artist um, can do really creative work, I think he is doing it. Uh, and this book is no exception. So as a reminder to those that don't remember me talking about the first issue, uh, the book is named Gideon Falls for a town. Um, I don't believe they said what state, if they did, apologies to everybody. But it's a, it's, it's, it's a, it's a small town um, where there's been a murder. Uh, the longtime priest um, was believed to be murdered. Uh, and then there was a subsequent uh, murder in the first issue. Um, but we are introduced to an, a, his replacement, another Catholic priest named Father Fred. And it's clear that Fred um, has had a, a checkered past. He is a barely recovering alcoholic. He has been kicked out of a few other parishes um, and jockeyed about. He's actually in the seminary before he gets sent to Gideon Falls, which is essentially his last chance. The, it seems like the bishop um, has a bit of an affinity for him. or, or It's either that or he knows that Fred's got a certain set of skills, uh, uh, cue the Liam Neeson jokes, um, that are optimal for the situation. But either way, he's been given this opportunity to go to Gideon Falls, and it's clear it wasn't random. Um, but Father Fred is thrust into this this small town environment where everybody knows everybody and everybody's up in each other's business, yet there's been multiple, at least alleged, homicides. Uh, at the same time, the book juxtaposes to a completely different set of characters in um, New York where we are introduced to um, a guy probably in his mid to late 20s by the name of, of Norton, Norton Sinclair. And Norton is a uh, paranoid schizophrenic. He's a germaphobe. He's got uh, obsessive compulsive disorder. He's a mess. He is he he walks around in a uh, like a breathing mask, uh, and he when we meet him, he is just released from a, a mental hospital, and he's being outpatient treated by a, uh, a do his doctor, a woman named Doctor Zhu, uh, Xu, and he basically is uh, he sees patterns and symbology everywhere. He's, he has an undeniable compulsion to ransack through garbage when he sees it and find what looks to be random pieces of trash to us, but he sees patterns and he collects things and he hoards things and he's meticulous about it. And uh, that's all labeled as part of his phobia, as part of his, his, his mental illness, and it's part of what Dr. Zhu is trying to get him to work on. Um, and he vacillates between believing it's part of his illness and thinking that it's real. And, you know, these are two disparate stories, but what we come to find out is that uh, Norton is obsessed with this thing called the Black Barn. Uh, he draws about it. He dream he's been dreaming about it since he was a child. Um, it's this ominous, uh, oversized, hazy black barn. It's a, you know, like a, like a, from like you'd see from a farm. And uh, it's sort of nebulously uh, dark and cavernous and, uh, it emanates evil, and there's some kind of um, 
devilish or demon-esque character that's associated with it, that's got giant teeth and dark eyes. Um, and everyone, of course, understandably thinks he's insane because he is, he is a paranoid schizophrenic. Uh, meanwhile, back in the town of Gideon Falls, uh, Father Fred is, is getting inundated with everything and is trying to figure out what happened to his counterpart. And he, too, gets a glimpse of the actual physical manifestation of this black barn. And, and that's all basically an issue one. And then the story evolves from there and it, and it, it evolves and, and it's, it's a given that all of these characters are going to, are going to coalesce into one narrative at some point, but through the first arc, through the first six issues, they don't. And you learn a lot about, um, about Norton's, uh, history. You, it's fascinating to see Norton act the way he does, and Doctor Zhu is trying so hard not to recommit him, because in her mind he's he's not getting any better. And in fact, maybe he's relapsing, and she wants to recommit him, but she she doesn't want to put him through that because it was he hated it there. Um, but then she too, just when she's about to commit him, like she's pretty much had it with him, she's walking through the streets of New York and she gets a vision of the Black Barn, so she thinks she's getting like codependent manifestations in her mind and and she thinks that uh she's having a breakdown but of course norton's like no i told you this is real um meanwhile back in gideon falls dr fred started to meet the local townsfolk the, the movers and the shakers the sheriff who's a woman uh, a relatively young woman who's uh, an atheist and uh pretty jaded about the idea of faith and um he meets a, a doc sutton who's this crazy um, looks almost like Rasputin, um, retired medical doctor who is now the leader of this group called the Plowsmen. And the Plowmen have been around since 200 years ago. Um, and they were important townsfolk elders of the town that got together to help combat and guard the town from this black barn. And so Doc Sutton explains to Father Fred about the history of it. And, and you know, meanwhile, Sutton seems like a maniac. You go into his house and he's got paperwork and 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 maps and and you know it's like uh just he's got every his whole house is covered in newspaper clippings and photos and diagrams and 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 chalkboards that that connect everything together about this black barn and it's his life's obsession and father fred is somewhat for a priest he's he's a man of the faith but he's also very realistic he's been through a lot of shit and uh he doesn't know what to make of all this so uh you know we both of these stories build to a crescendo um, and where it really takes a fascinating turn is I didn't think in the first arc we'd even see the black barn outside of visions, but we actually are taken into it. And I won't say who goes into it or how or why, cause that's, a, that's an important part of the story that I want to take away from you before you read it. But, but holy shit, like, again, I got to give credit to Sorrentino because I didn't think he had this in him because it's not like I was thinking, okay, when they go into the barn, it's going to be seven levels of hell or it's going to be everybody's worst fears or it's going to be torture it's it's not that it's this trippy m escher total mindfuck where you're reading the pages and it's so non sequitur that it must be what it's like to be insane and and he draws he essentially draws insanity and and that's a super hard thing to do it's even hard to describe and i think he pulls it off because as I'm reading it, I was totally off put by what I was seeing. But again, it's not gory. It's not horrifying in the classic sense. It's horrifying because 
it's clear that whoever's going into this thing, their mind is destroyed. And I didn't see that coming. I thought this was going to be a relatively straightforward, linear devil or demon type of thing. And I should have known better because it's Lemire. He doesn't do anything half-assed, not by the book. But but um, it, it's just so badass. And, and, and again, all of these things come together in the end of this first arc. And I still think we're probably a ways away from all of them getting together in the town but uh, but the focal point for both groups of people now is this is this barn quite quite specifically, and uh, I think they're all coming around to the idea that that it's real at least in some form. Um, how the how and the how and the why and what they're supposed to do about it I think is very much to be determined. It's kind but, of a uh, reckoning moment. Yeah, it's 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 an amazing book, and um, more and more I find myself just clamoring for books that are different books that just tell me a story that I haven't read a hundred times before. Um, and I also feel like it's been a great year for that. I think that there's a ton of books out that are unique voices and, and, uh, and, and doing their own thing and, and not, not, um, not overly evocative or, or, or cloned from other ideas. And this is another one of them. I think it's great. And, uh, I, I highly recommend it. I just think and these, this is one of those cases too, where, the writer and the artist clearly have great kismet, have great connection together. I mean, they work together in uh, on Green Arrow, and they work together on Old Man Logan. And um, I just, I think you see it here. I think that that uh, Sorrentino just vibes with Lemire, and and it's one of those cases where one plus one very much equals three. So mm-hmm. huge, huge recommendation for Gideon Falls, and it's well timed because, like I said, the six six issue just came out. It's the end of the arc. Um, I don't know if the trade was probably the trade was probably already solicited, um, but it hasn't come out yet. So the trade should be hitting the stands anytime in the next month or two. And uh, for all you trade waiters, definitely pick it up, man. It's great. I'm telling you, it's very, very. I mean, Lemire is on a hell of a roll, um, but but this is this is another big time winner for him. Uh, yeah, second that. Um, so you said that this was timely and in more ways than I, than, than one. For the past couple of years, my favorite kind of horror book has been Harrow County by Cohen Bunn and Sure, Bunn. yeah. Um, that that just ended, so I kind of had yeah. that moment of just my broken, like you know, my broken heart because uh, my book just just went away. And then this yeah. book showed up, and this book is on the sh- the very very short list for my favorite favorite horror story, and mainly because it's quiet. It, yes, there there are no jump out and scare you moments. It's just cerebral. Mm-hmm. It really is, and and to to speak on what you were talking about, Sorrentino's art. I would not be surprised if fifteen years ago Sorrentino started studying things that were done by people like Ariel Olivetti, sure, uh, where they were taking these you know scans or these these real life photographs and then layering over them uh, because I, he does yeah, that like and, digital fumetti, yeah. Right, and just putting all of these these extra effects on them uh, to the point that he's even using wood grain, like a negative space wood grain, mm-hmm. in his work to give it a t- some texture. And then what he does with his panel layouts is just insane. What what like literally insane? What you were speaking about, where he's drawing insanity uh, without giving too much away. So much of the way he's doing that is these bananas panel layouts. Yeah, I mean that one where she's she's getting the vision and there's all those different cubes. Yeah, and the cubes yeah, are breaking off. Like I mean, it's like dissolving. Yeah, it's 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 so. I mean, that's creative. I mean, mm-hmm. even if he uses 
digital Adobe tools to render, which as an OA nut breaks my heart. Yeah, me too. But he's, but still. He's, we often say about comics that it's disappointing when people don't write and draw comics to leverage the fact that they're comics, meaning you can have a trillion dollar budget. You can do things visually that you can't mm-hmm. do in any other medium. And that's when they're at their best. I think the same thing here. He He's using tools that more and more artists are using. And I think most are using them in relatively mundane and uncreative ways such that yeah, he's at the forefront. Of, yeah. Right. Yeah. Usually when, when you see a digital re- realistic driven book like this now, it, it takes a lot of the power of the story away. And I find myself thinking, Oh man, you know, I, I think I like this writing, but, but the, the, the art just doesn't hold up for, for, to his credit and your mileage may vary, I, you know, depending, but, but for me, I think Sorrentino is, is he is elevating this I, this type of sequential storytelling using these tools, these tools that I generally typically find as as hindrances to storytelling. He is making them sing, and I got to give him credit for that. Yeah, no, no joke. Like I mentioned, Ariel Olivetti earlier, because if you go back and or even his more recent stuff, if you read stuff like Brutal Nature, which is a book that uh, Olivetti did, he, he's doing kind of this this classic thing that Olivetti does. Sorrentino takes it and kind of just pushes it over the hill where when Olivetti does it, it really stands out. Like it's not in a bad way because I really like Olivetti stuff, but it's raw. It's grating. This is like, I don't, I I think polish is the wrong word, but this is really understanding the craft of that. Yeah. And it's funny too, like how to make that happen. Yeah. There's little things that crack me up. Like there's a page in uh, the fourth issue where, the uh, father Fred goes over to talk to the sheriff at her crib and Mm -hmm. she's drinking a beer and he just takes a clearly a, like a a digi image of a beer bottle and uses (laughs) it. And he, he, he renders it too small. Like he shrinks it to fit the the image and it's too small. It looks like she's drinking like a, it's like, it's like a, it's like a beer bottle. And uh, one of those uh, hotel vodka bottles had a baby, right? You know, it's It's too small. Like, like it's, it's, it's rendered incorrectly. But like those little things, you see that, and I'm like, but that doesn't bother me because when he needs to do the work, when he needs to put in the work and tell a story, he's crushing it. Mm-hmm. So you can give me a, like, give me a small mis-sized beer bottle if you're going to give me M. Escher craziness when I go inside the barn. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And uh, and to the, that that effect, a name that I don't know, I think you mentioned him earlier, but the, the colors on this book, Dave Stewart his color palette does so much uh, for the mental landscape of this book. It, it really yeah. just, yeah, his, you're right. His splashes of red, mm-hmm. uh, it, the muted beiges when there, in this most recent book, there's a, there's a scene where somebody's walking through kind of a desert landscape. Um, we, you know, we live in a, an age where because digital colorists work the way they do, we have access to the most psychedelic versions of everything. And, and some colors use that very well. Uh, some colors go above and beyond with that and make it beautiful. But Dave Stewart is taking just beiges, like different shades of beige and doing so much to work the tone of this book. Yeah. And, and to really highlight the, the angles and the corners that, that, uh, that Sorrentino is, is crafting with, with his, his layouts and his imagery. 
Mm-hmm. You know, I, I don't, again, I don't want to cast aspersions, um, but I do think I, I look at this book and then I look at Infinity Wars, mm-hmm. uh, which number two came out, um, and we talked at length about one over the last few weeks because Vince loved it and then we read it after the next week. Um, I think Mike Diodato is a very, very capable and accomplished artist. He's There's a reason why he's been on one of Marvel's big books pretty much in perpetuity for the last decade. Um, I think more people, if, if you gave most comic readers, most people listening to the show, a copy of Gideon Falls and a copy of Infinity Wars, I suspect more people would say they like the art in Infinity Wars. Um, for me, the the I, I, failings isn't the right word because I don't think Infinity Wars is a bad-looking book. But I think it is much closer to having the issues that I typically have with people that are telling stories digitally now, mm-hmm. which is I think Infinity Wars is overly rendered. I think... Frank Martin is a very accomplished colorist. I think with Infinity Wars, I think the colors fail him. I think they they muddy up Diodato's illustrations. I think there's too broad a color palette. There's these startling color contrasts which make it look not real. And to your point, I know Dave Stewart is people joke about oh, you know, Dave Stewart super colorist, but there's a reason why his name is synonymous with coloring. Oh yeah. Because he understands color theory in a way that very few people working in comics understand. And I, again, I don't, I don't want this to come off saying I think Frank Martin is a bad colorist. He has colored tons of great books. But in this particular case, I think when I look at the panel layouts, like there's, a, there's panels in Infinity Wars number two, and it's big doings. It's, it's the recap of what we talked about in issue one where Gamora is beheading Thanos. Mm-hmm. And they draw that, and it's, it's broken up into... It's one image, and then they put, like, random white rectangular breakup borders. So you're, you're, it's like you're looking at, at 15 different shaped rectangles of the scene instead of just the scene. And to me, that's so random. It doesn't enhance the storytelling. You're just putting white-lined rectangular borders that break up the image. You're not you're not showing any time movement. You're not showing it's it's literally one image that you're you're putting a crisscross white border color or on top of, and and I, I don't I don't understand. Like to me, that's just using the border tools in Photoshop because you have them, not because yeah. it enhances the story. And the same thing with the colors. I think the colors are there, but like Martin doesn't use restraint. He doesn't think about how the colors play with each other. And then I look at Gideon Falls and I think it's drawn the same way. It's rendered completely digitally. In fact, Sorrentino leans more heavily to photo reference than Diodato. But the book sings because there's a harmony between everyone that's, that's working on it. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's really what you want. Well, and just to, again, just to speak on that, uh, Sorrentino did something in the first issue that I, I personally have never seen done in comics before. And it, it uses that photo realism and that, that layering. He, he did a panoramic shot of a room and it, it looks like a, a panoramic shot that you can take on your phone. So the, 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 what would should be straight lines are arced. And uh, as far as like where the walls meet the ceiling and stuff. And I, I've never personally seen that done before. Mm-hmm. And I, that, like I fell in love with this book on that page. 
Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've seen Lemire and Sorrentino work together. I've read all the Old Man Logan stuff. Yeah. They, they're fabulous. I think these guys really, really, really get in each other's heads in this book. Faux show. Let's wake Dap up. <laughs> loving it, man. He hates I'm, Lemire. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, especially since he owns a page from uh, Price Letter. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and, you know, because he also made his post that episode. But in any case, the, yeah. uh, um, no, I, I, I enjoyed the first issue of Gideon Falls. It, it is another one of those titles that just ends up getting piled on top of, um, the subject matter may not also move me as much as some of Jeff's other works, but um, I am I'm always glad that uh, Jeff's work gets um, gets some love. I mean, I, I'm enjoying Royal City. Uh, Are you still digging on the century? Uh, actually, I I have not. I have the first two issues. I haven't started yet. Um, okay. And I, I had them in my possession since um, Vince and Jason started gushing about it. So I, they talked about the first issue, and I believe while I was driving to North Carolina, they were talking about the second. So um, I, I do want to read it, especially since since Kim is drawing it, and and I, I dug Kim's work on. Uh, Avengers No Surrender, so it's definitely a, um, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's primed and ready to be read. Um, it's just, there, if, since they already gushed about it, if there's something else that is newer that, that, that we can probably discuss, um, I try to at least get, get those things out of the way, but I will, I will read it. I don't know if I'll read it before Monstrous now, but I, um, it's, it's, like I said, I'm, it's ready to be read. I just need to find a time to do it. Um, the same thing with Doctor Strange number four came out th- today, and, and I didn't get a chance to, um, to read that one after, especially loving um, the third issue. But there was, you know, I, I part of me was going to say, actually, you know what? No, I, I will save that for my new travels. Um, there was something I've been meaning to read that I finally got around to reading. Um, and I know that, uh, pretty sure Jason hasn't finished the, uh, the first season of Star Trek Discovery, but I read the annual that came out, um, a while ago. So Star Trek Discovery annual, uh, number one written by Kirsten Bayer and Mike Johnson art by Angel Hernandez. Back when DC had wait, they they Star Trek they make Star Trek comics. They make Star Trek comics, bro. Believe it or not. Oh damn, I didn't know that. Uh, back in the eighties, uh, when DC got the Star Trek license after, after Marvel did, and this is the post Wrath um, of Khan era, um, when when DC had their annuals, the first few annuals were um, like the first annual was I think the right before the five-year mission. The second annual was uh, post-five-year mission, right before the motion picture. But there was one annual that, that focused on Scotty and, and uh, Scotty's the love of his life and, um, 
and I, I, I appreciated the, um, the, the spotlight on a singular character. And that's what this Discovery Annual reminded me of, because it is pretty much a story on Paul Stamets. And, and, and Paul is, the, uh, is one of the main characters from the first season of Discovery. Um, and the, what, um, just like that, that annual with, uh, with Scotty, this deals with Paul's life before, uh, getting on the ship and even before, um, joining Starfleet. And for those who, who aren't aware, um, Paul Stanis is played by Anthony Rapp from from Rent and from other uh, from other things, and also hit it on Twitter for pretty much kind of Kevin Spacey. But in in um, this annual, the um, for people who were watching Discovery, who are familiar with um, Paul's arc in the first season and, and, um, and the whole spore drive and, uh, the sacrifices he made in the first season, this, this annual definitely, um, doesn't give you any reason to, to think that that's that the character in this book is, is definitely the character that we see, uh, on the show. And, um, it, it pretty much, explains fills in anything any anything you might have wondered about um paul's life before during starfleet and even early on when um, when we first meet the tardigrade uh there's another scientist on a sister ship and and that scientist plays a big part in this annual as as well as um the relationship between paul and uh, Hugh Colbert, who's the doctor on, um, on Discovery. Um, so we also see their, their relationship, um, the origins of, of, of that, um, of them getting together. I, I it's weird. There, um, as much as, I didn't think the first Star Trek Discovery miniseries tying into this, the show, um, that left me feeling a little flat because it, it, it kind of focused on the Klingons, which I'm digging the Klingons on, on Discovery, but I didn't need a miniseries on them, especially the first comic book tie into the show. But the, um, this annual really just, it, it reminded me of what I enjoyed about Star Trek comics back in the day. Um, more so, I think, than the recent Star Trek um, Boldly Ghost series, which takes place after uh, Star Trek Beyond and tries to move the franchise forward before whatever they decide to do with any any future uh, movies or, or tie-ins. But uh, no, I really, I, I I didn't know what to expect with it. I didn't, I mean, based on the cover, yeah, I, I should figured it was a. It was a Paul story, but um, on the show, statements can be kind of um, 
grating and uh, tiring, but the uh, the way Byron and um, and Johnson flesh the character out really actually it made me want to go back and, and watch the first season again. So uh, kudos to, to everyone involved. And I thought the uh, I thought Hernandez's art, whereas it, it wasn't um, it wasn't like. The characters were, were photoshopped to, to make it look like as if you just screen capped um, the series and, and put them on the page like like Donato or Believer or any other or LaRocca or anybody else who who would not not take shortcuts but just definitely remind you who these characters are in this comic who are played by real people. Uh, but Hernandez definitely drew the characters where you knew who everyone was supposed to be without um, using that crutch where I can only draw this character from a three-quarter profile or from the side because that's the only reference I have. That, that, that Those are the only IMDb images I have of this actor, so that's what right. I run with. Um, so, no, I, I definitely, if, if you haven't checked out any of the Discovery comics uh, based on the show, I would, um, I would definitely recommend it the annual because so far that's been the best one based on the show uh, for me at any rate but yeah that's um I, I was very happy uh, very pleasantly surprised to because um, there there are times where you know licensed comics can be quite on the miss side when it comes to whether or not they're going to be hit or miss I'm gonna have to go pick that up tomorrow because I love I love season one, love season one of that show. I can't wait for Jason um, to finish it. It's 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 good. Uh, it, it's got me kind of wanting to get that CBS app. Seriously, uh, I I, I kind of I mean I'll I'll renew when the second season comes out, but I kind of want to renew sooner just so I can rewatch the first season right. again. So while I've, I've been wanting to bend your ear about this, though, because I know like you're kind of my go to and a lot of people's go to like Star Trek stuff. Uh, <laughs> so because, uh, you know, you, you love it and it's very obvious that you love it. Uh, so one of the biggest headlines of last week was that <laughs> both of the. Yeah, I mean, like, yeah, both of the Chris's quit, man. Uh, well, it's, what uh, what do you think about that? Like where what, what where's your head at with that? Selfishly, and for for those of us that don't uh, stay glued to the Star Trek news, maybe we want to recap what exactly oh, happened. Oh well, in the EOC at the movies Facebook group, uh, it was reported that uh, talks between Paramount and the Chris's, Pine and Hemsworth, um, they're pretty much at an impasse. Basically, Pine was you know all set to be in the fourth movie. Chris Hemsworth was going to come back for Star Trek IV because he was in the first Star Trek movie in 2009 uh, as George Kirk, as, as, as James Kirk's father. Um, the rumor was that it was going to be a time travel story where I guess James goes back and sees his father, meets his father. Like the Godfather II of Star Trek movies. Yes. So, um, but either That's Paramount, a high bar. Right. Damn. Uh, so Damn. Either, either Paramount is crying poverty or they're just trying to, um, you know, get most bang for their buck. But they basically have said, listen, we can't 
I don't know if it's we're not going to, but or basically we can't pay you what we promised to pay you to be in this movie. So the Chris's were like, all right, bye. And so they're not holding out for more money. They just want, you know, what they were, what the contract, what they were promised. Uh, So basically. We talking eight figs here? I. It's Chris Pine, and, and, and it's a non-Marvel Chris Hemsworth movie. I mean, seriously? Right. The uh, Wait, I, seriously no or seriously yes? No, I don't think we're talking eight figures. I think we're... No? I mean... I I don't... I think... From, you know, because I, I give people the benefit of doubt, and I, I try to look for the best in people, I think... I mean, yes, obviously these people are actors, and they're trying to get... You know, they're, they're trying to get paid, obviously. Um, but, I mean... Chris Pine has already done three Star Trek movies. It's not like I don't think he he he's like oh I'm finally you know this is this is where I'm really going to get back at them and, and make sure they, they pay me what I'm worth. I, I kind of I want to hope that he he's doing this because he enjoys working with these people and he enjoys the franchise. I'm sure that that's just me being hey, dude you're a fool, but that that's what I'd like oh, to believe. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Uh... Well, he was. He might be the highest paid of the crew. Yeah, they're they're saying uh, when he fought for his deal a couple years ago, it uh, he was supposed to make three million for the second movie, but okay. that got bumped to eight. Okay. And he would be in line to make twelve million for the third. Okay. All right. So my bad. All right. So he figures. And now, and and the third was Star Trek Beyond. Oh, so this is yeah. Well, this is written three or four. Years. Okay, so okay. I guess he got twelve million for the third. Okay. okay so. Yeah. Um, so again, I'm not sure what the percentages were supposed to be, but but whatever, he and Hemsworth both signed a deal with Paramount, and and this is and and Paramount is for whatever reason, um, not willing to come to the table with that now, so they're willing to walk. And um, I've I've yes, selfishly, I would love it. I'm I'm well past. The idea of a, I'm. We've had so many TV shows. I'm I'm okay with a Star Trek without Kirk. I'm 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 absolutely at that stage where I, we can still tell stories. Without James D. Kirk. Mm-hmm. It's it's weird, because this is still. The original crew, so mm-hmm. that's. Mm-hmm. That that's where it's like okay yes I mean obviously you're not going to have Kirk on this generation or Deep Space Nine but this is still McCoy and Spock and 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 yeah. Sulu so where is Kirk and I, I'm thinking that the way um, the way I started coming around to it was in um, in Star Trek Beyond Kirk was uh, Kirk had put in for. Um, a vice admiral position, and he, the the admiral had told him, you know, I've talked it over, and and that application's being processed, and by all means, you you are in line for that position. But by the end of Beyond, after he dealt with um, with Crawl and 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 he uh, they come back to uh, Yorktown, uh, Kirk tells. The admiral that you know what I think. Since basically, like vice admirals tend not to fly; they don't they don't go on ships and they don't go explore. Um, basically, letting us know that, that that Kirk is still 
bent for the chair, and, and, and he's not—he's not willing to give it up. So he's—he's—he's he's, right. he's going to thanks, but no thanks for the vice admiralship. Um, but if if it were to come down to it, where everybody else on the cast is willing to do the fourth movie, um, they can easily write it where Kirk had a change of heart and and decided to become a vice admiral because this way you know Spock can sit in the chair and, and, and do what he's intended to do and um, and my and, and part of why I came to that realization is because we're not going to have Chekhov in the movie and right. there's already mm-hmm. going to be a slight imbalance without Chekhov because even though Chekhov was um, sitting next to Sulu for the movies in the second movie when, when Scotty quit he was in engineering, so it's not like he was a member. He was on the bridge the whole time, anyway. So this, this obviously, the, the, this Kelvin verse isn't is not tied to any sort of previous Star Trek TOS stories. They, 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 they have they have free reign to go in all sorts of directions with these characters, and and a Kirkless Enterprise. Um, Again, as much as it would hurt for me to not see Chris Pine in, in on on the bridge, it's it would not. I don't think it would destroy the franchise. And and I was also thinking that if that were the case, because if you bring Jayla back and and put her in engineering with Scotty, uh, and you introduce a new character, then perhaps that new younger officer can maybe be the bridge between the original crew and whatever crew comes onto the Enterprise next. And they can, if, if they were smart enough, if they planned it out, they could just have, like, one person be the connector between new crews every five-year mission. And, and, and you know, so whoever's the young up-and-coming actor who's in the next movie... After the next three or four movies, you know he'd be the old bitter vet, and then someone else would come on. And and I, that's just spitballing. But I I am not selfishly. I'm a little bummed. But yeah, I I would absolutely. I'd be fine with sitting in a theater watching a Kirkless Star Trek movie. So I think they can survive it for one movie. I, I don't think the franchise survives it for more than that. I, I think that if they went with it and they made the next movie without him, like you just said, I think they could write it in a way that you don't miss him too much. Uh, or, or there's at least a a plausible excuse for him not being there. Right. I do think it hurts the longevity of the franchise if in that period of time the lawyers don't get involved and, and make it happen where he comes back in the fifth movie. And and I'm, I, I don't disagree. Um, I, I read someone's theory that um, you know if it's if it's a money issue where you know you're supposed to you if if they're really nickel and diming it and they're saying okay listen we'll pay you this much but you're not going to be in a full 120 minute movie we can give you 20 minutes to a half hour then you can have them at the beginning where he's then right. kidnapped by the Klingons and then rescued at the end of the movie. So 
you still so 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 the rest of the movie is all about the crew and how they have to deal with the situation. You still get Kirk, but it's not Jim Kirk calling the shots on the bridge. And and it, it, this way, Pine is still in the movie. He still, uh, I guess, fulfills any contractual obligations, and he still gets paid. But based on his screen time, gets paid with whatever Paramount is, is deems is, is, is worthy, so that everybody's happy. Um, or then he gets, you know, he just gets killed off at the end of the movie, and, and they shuttle him off in, in pod. And uh, but it's it's yeah, I based on on how the numbers have been. With every movie since the 2009 reboot, I, I don't, it it pains me to say it, but I don't know how much longer this particular version of the franchise was going to continue anyway. Right. Well, the other option is I get some spanks and hair dye and try my best for a lot less money. <laughs> they, can, they can call me. <laughs> I dig it. I, I You know what? I, I, I'll sign that petition. Oh, we're going we're gonna to start a petition. It's <laughs> That was worth Star Trek. Well, cool. Yeah, that was just, I was wondering, man, because uh, I hadn't had a chance to really chat with you on the, the Facebook page about it, and I, I was curious about where you stood on that. So, thank you. You're very welcome. More respect for that, boys. Since we're talking about licensed uh, books, I read a, uh, a licensed book this week. Oh. And it's 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 squarely in an area of comics that I don't typically delve into, but it does have a rich history. That is Terminator Sector War number one. Wow, I heard of that dude. Yeah. So the reason I'm giving it a now there have been a Dark Horse has owned the Terminator license for a minute, and there have been a lot of Terminator comics. Oh yes. And I have read absolutely none of them. Um. No particular reason. I enjoyed all the movies. Well, no, that's not true. <laughs> I was about to say I enjoyed all the movies. Uh, I enjoyed the OG movies very much. Two out of three ain't bad. Yeah. yeah. Well, there's been a bunch since. I, I, I haven't even seen the last one, the one with uh, Khaleesi. Um, oh, I ignored everything after the third one. Yeah. But, but I, I should say I dig the concept. and just Oh, and your cousin wrote it, too. That's the thing. So the, 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 the creative team... Is what uh, is what drew me in because uh, it is indeed my cousin, which of course everybody knows is Mr. Brian Wood, uh, and um, it's drawn by one of our. We've we've loved this guy's work from Jump, and I gotta admit we haven't heard much from him in a long time. That's true, and that and that is Mr. Jeff Stokely. Yeah, in fact. Uh, I believe his first paid published comics work was Six Gun Gorilla, and I own a page from that. So I've always been a fan of Jeff's work. And uh, Dap put his most recent, at least I think it's his most recent book, on the book of the month. Last month, was it? Two months ago? Didn't uh, you? Which one? The um, the uh, Spiral? Yes. Yeah. Um, oh, the Spire. Yes, yes, yes. Spire. The mm -hmm. Spire. Yeah, sorry, the Spire. Um but yeah, so I, I, I picked this up on a lark. I was like, like Brian Wood as a writer, like Jeff Stokely as an artist, and see what's doing. Um, and to be fair, I got exactly what one would expect to have gotten. It's 
basically, and and I, I hope people don't hate hate on me for this. It's basically like the same Terminator story over again. Like it, it's just like with these alien books that we've been reading by great creators, and I dig I dig the creator so much. But there's only so much you can do with these these concepts unless you just totally try and pull a Star Wars expanded universe. And I don't think the owners of the IP let them go too far. This concept is 1984 at the exact same moment that Schwarzenegger Terminator is going after Sarah Connor. What we never knew is that there was another Terminator sent to the went sent to New York to go after uh, another future resistance member named Lucy Castro. And she happens to be a member of the NYPD. And whereas Schwarzenegger was a dark-haired, dark, short-haired, muscle-bound Terminator dude, this dude is like a Dolph Lundgren, long-haired, blonde dude. And it, it it's like every other... Ter- I would imagine it's like every Terminator comic ever written. The Terminator shows up, he's nude, he takes somebody's clothes, he takes somebody's gun, he takes somebody's vehicle. Uh, you know, uh, he goes after the protagonist she tries to stop him she can barely stop him oh no how is she gonna get away from him we all know eventually she's gonna find a way to stop him and uh so i was i was very underwhelmed and 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 through no fault of brian or jeff i think i just i i don't know i don't know why i was gonna say i don't know why the story exists and that's a that's a really dumb thing to say when we're talking about fiction because like why does any fic- fiction story exist? But it, it it's 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 just another chance to, for two creators that have never done a Terminator story to do their Terminator story, and you know it's uh it kind of reminds me Dap when remember how stoked we were for uh, for Stoko to do the Aliens book, yeah, and it looked great and Stoko was amazing, but at the end of the day it was another Aliens story, right? It was. Them mm-hmm. on a, it was a bunch of people trapped on a ship with a bunch of, of the aliens, you know, like, and like, and then one surviving, like that was the story. And that's the, been the story in every alien incarnation. So that's what we have here with Terminator. And, and you know, so you don't have to run out and read this. It, it, it looks great. I mean, you know, Stoke, no, Stokely does his thing. I love his art style. And if you're a diehard Terminator, you're clamoring. If you saw the Khaleesi movie and you were like, you had, you had salt in your mouth from it and you, you want to cleanse your palate with a, a more straightforward and well-told Terminator yarn, maybe this is for you. But I, I do cast a bit of a side eye to Dark Horse and say, really, though? Like, it just doesn't seem inspired to me. It, it felt like what you would think a licensed comic would feel like, like when a creator's like trying to pay the bills because they got their own thing they want to do, but they need to pay the bills. So they say, I'll take this, this license gig too. It's what it felt like to me. I mean, even the cover, because you know, she, she's in the police uniform, which, you know, we saw that with the T 1000. It's, it's, and we see that in, in the Terminator Genesis. It's not, yeah, it's all all you're doing is, is kind of just, Putting the clothes on different characters, but but everything's precisely, kind of precisely. So I felt very similar about another 
uh, another licensed product, uh, Predator Hunters 2, that came out, I think, last week. Okay. And it was that same, and I only mention it as a tangent to what you're talking about, though. It was that same thing. It's a mm-hmm. good excuse to look at really pretty art followed by a new take on the same story that we've read over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. It, um, militants, uh, in this case, it's militants in the Middle East dealing with jihadists, uh, which is kind of a played out thing, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Uh, other people may feel differently, but that, that's fine. Um, so, yeah, you've got jihadists that are doing their thing in the Middle East with a captured... Uh, agent, uh, so to speak, either CIA or some other off the book thing, and, and, and again, it's the same. Like like you said, it's the same story. We, we've we've seen this before. It's nothing. It's nothing new. It's a it's a creative take on a, the same old trope, and it's a really really uh, good excuse maybe to to look at kind of decent art and that. In the case of Predator Hunters 2, uh, Augustine Padilla did the art on there, and it's beautiful to look at. I, I kind of look at the art and ignore the, the word bubbles, because I've read that before. Uh, yeah. And that's that's kind of unfortunate. I, I don't like being negative. It's mm-hmm. not a bad story. It, it, it's, an, it's an average Predator story. And, you know, maybe when it comes to things, these licensed products that we've read so much of that have been told and told and told to be they predator or aliens or the punisher or not the terminator excuse me uh maybe an okay story is is just okay you know that's that's kind of the middle ground and as long as we have that we can read that story and still see some great art and at the end of the day walk off being satisfied that we got what we paid for mm-hmm. and that's the way i felt with that with that book and, and no offense to, to chris warner who wrote the story Sure, it's, it's a great story for what we've read, or for for what it is. It's you know, uh, it, it's a it's a wonderful thing that I've seen done before. Looks to me like uh, Dap won the uh, battle of licensed comics this week. <laughs> he did well, and I'm I'm uh, like I'm kind of bummed because I consider myself kind of a Marvel zombie too. And and Jason, you and I haven't spoken on, on any Marvel books this this week. It's true. Yeah, yeah. Right. Like, what what happened? We we dropped the ball on that one, man. Hmm. I might have to pull out a Marvel book for my in your travels. Then let me see here. Ooh. I have to think on it. Jeez. Thank good, good. I don't know, know if I I might not have read any Marvel this week. Uh, I gotta think on it. Let's see. Hmm. You know what? I I didn't either. Because I, I I still have to read Domino number five. Oh, it's so good. I know. It. I flipped through it. I I was like, oh. God damn. And I'm not just saying that because of Jason. It's <laughs> legitimately so good. Oh, yeah. It is so good. Baldeon's uh, that dude. Oh, he is, man. Uh, just hands out. Speaking of Domino, just while we're on that subject. Let's speak on has, it. Let's do it. <laughs> yeah, she has shown up in another book here recently, Weapon X. Have you been reading that? I ha- uh, Yeah, I, I well, y- yes, I am reading it, but I'm probably, geez, let's see. Uh, what issue? Well, an issue just came out today, right? It did, yeah. Brent, I, haven't, I haven't read it yet. What, I haven't read number? the one. What number was that? Uh, it was, let me go through my stack. It was issue 22. I last read issue number 15. Oh, you gotta, you gotta play catch up, man. They're yeah, doing I have all the issues. Craziness in that book. 
Yildur uh, uh, Sinar took over the art, right? Uh, he he did. Uh, he did indeed. And if I'm not mistaken, didn't you uh, didn't you didn't you end up getting a page out of that? Oh no, dude! I bought a page on your recommendation from Ricardo L- Lopez Ortiz. That's what it was. Okay, yeah, yeah. It actually just yeah. came this week. Yeah, yeah. Did you get? Oh, does how, how does it look in person? It looks fantastic. I haven't read the issue yet, but I bought the page because uh, you turned me on to it. The, the artwork it's dope. As soon as I saw that, I like immediately like grabbed my phone and was like, "I've got to find something." Like, let me let me pull up something to show Jason. This yeah, man. Yeah, good uh, looking the, out too, because he he I I googled his name. He's got a little, little like Etsy or some type of site that he runs his own stuff on. He had the pages; they were dumb cheap. I hit if him up. If he's selling he, that on Etsy, I'm, I'm quitting. I'm not quitting Etsy, Etsy, but like whatever one of those little like, <laughs> like you know, just like like Shopify, whatever one of those sites that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, but well, uh, I'm yeah, glad you ended up getting that piece, man. Because mm-hmm. I saw it, I like that was the. I love Gilderay Senar. I think he's an amazing artist. Mm-hmm. He's great stuff, but. The the piece of art that you bought that particular artist was such a stylistic change mm-hmm. from what has been in that book that it was it was both jolting but in the best kind of way, in the best kind of way it was yeah. so stylized and just uh, inherently cartoonish. Yeah, I'm gonna get cut up on that a- ASAP because I, I, I yeah I, I gotta I can't let the Domino uh, I can't let the Domino comics stack up. That's not well, right. And, and dog right now, uh, Greg Pock and Fred Van Linty are like tag team scripts. So those are both names that do FBL. We never did have FBL week, or I mean uh, FBL yeah, on, no. on the show. We y'all, had y'all FBL month. Like we not. didn't have them on the show. Right. I, I would like to to now cast my vote for that to happen. I mean, we. <laughs> I mean, it, it was scheduled. He was supposed to come on, and we had technical difficulties, and it never got rescheduled. God, fix that shit for me. We'll because have you them, love we'll them again in New York. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, but but yeah, Weapon X, and like I said, I haven't read the the latest issue, which is twenty two, but it it has been a really really fun story. The arc right now, and I, like I said, not to not to spoil anything, but it involves Omega Red, and there's a lot of interesting things going on with him and with the leadership dynamic of this team. Uh, a lot of people hate on the not hate. A lot of people aren't necessarily enjoying the X-Men franchise books, so to speak, be they mm-hmm. red, gold, blue, cerulean, whatever. Uh, soon to be half black. Soon to be black. Actually, I'm looking forward to black. Me too. Um, and in and the, then all leading to Uncanny returning. And, and I think, uh, yeah, exactly, in that, that news game, we, got the, we actually got the creator list for that this week. Mm-hmm. And we found out that they are going to be doing a 10-issue weekly series on that. Um, kind of like Avengers. Avengers. I gotta be honest with you. Do you? Uh, yeah. Uh, Avengers No Surrender bought them some grace for me. You know what? That's a great comparison. I didn't make that comparison in my mind, and I did, as you know, love that. As do we all? We all love that book. So yeah. So okay, you're right. I hope that's that's. If it's in that spirit, then it'll be good. And I, you know, I, I, I've been wrong before. Uh, I'm I'm usually wrong yeah. once, once, twice a week. So uh, uh, maybe, but uh, it, it bought them some grace for me. I am looking forward to to that, but th- to, to me, what the point I was going to get at is the the even if you're not enjoying the main X titles, which I, I you know full disclosure I am, uh, I th- I'm enjoying Gold the least of which, but I, I still read it. Uh, red yeah, and blue, I read them all. Oh, I can't help myself. Yeah, red. I'm the same way. Red and blue have been fun. That you know, uh, I'm a, I'm a Cullen Bun Mark. Uh, if anybody listens to to my podcast, they know that I talk about a lot of his stuff. I, I really enjoy what he does. 
But Weapon X, uh, Old Man Logan, even Weapon H to a point, these kind of tangential X books have been really good for absolutely no reason. <laughs> yeah, same thing with X-23 and which came yeah. all new Wolverine, which is not, yeah, no, I'm with you. X-23, man, it was, it, it's phenomenal. I'm not going to so, read the Roganda book, though. I can't do it. I'm not reading that one. The, <laughs> Mr. and Mrs. X. I can't do it, dude. <laughs> Mr. and Mrs. X, I can't do it. Uh, yeah, I'm not. No, I, I tapped out on that one. Um, now, now, I don't want this to seem stereotypical that I'm going to ask you this, but since you do read all these books, how, did you give the Iceman book a try? I did. I loved it. It was um, good? Yeah, I enjoyed it personally. Uh, I, I get that some people don't. Uh, I... I try to be open-minded and I realize that some people are really attached to the, the legacy of these characters and their history. Uh, and they don't necessarily like the way that Marvel has taken Iceman. I, I really loved that book. I, I felt like it had a lot of heart. I felt like it was uh, just off the top of my head. Cause I wasn't ready. I can't think of uh, the creative team on that title. It, it really, it was fun. It was really neat to get in this headspace of a character who, at the same time as the reader, is trying to wrap their mind about who the this person is. Uh, and they're dealing with all kinds of family stuff and, and did a really good job in tying into the backstory of Bobby Drake, uh, tying into his family issues, tying into what it was like coming out as a mutant to versus what it's like to being forced out. Mm-hmm. The closet by a younger. Wasn't it? Uh, it was Cena Grace, right? Was the Cena Grace? Yeah, Cena Grace. Uh, yeah, no, no, I, I read the book. I, I loved it. Uh, I, I'm looking forward to its return because it is at least getting a. It's either getting a graphic novel or a mini arc that's coming out. Mm-hmm. I don't think that they're completely jumping up and restarting the the series for an ongoing. Fully expecting it to be a limited run, but I am glad to see that it got enough traction in its trade paperback sales. Uh, maybe that they that Marvel was was like, okay, let, let's bring this title back because it had a lot of heart. It it really did. And is it for everybody? No, um, I'm a firm believer that if something is not for you, you don't have to read it. Yeah, that's sure. no reason that you should wish that it didn't exist. If you mm-hmm. if you don't like something and you, you wish it didn't exist for the sake of the fact that you don't like it, that's either a lot of hubris or a lot of hate. Uh, yeah, I think that's right. And so, you know, if, if it's not for you, don't don't spend your money on it. Uh, but, but let other people who are enjoying it, it's, you know, it's not costing you any money. It's costing Marvel money. Marvel got plenty of money. <laughs> they got Marvel mm-hmm. money. Uh, you know, so if you're not enjoying it, let it, let it ride. Just ignore it like people do a lot of other stuff. Uh, you know, yeah, there's a lot of books. Yeah, there's a lot of books that come out, so you don't have to. Don't worry about it. If it's not your thing, it's not your thing. Sure. Let it. Let it be for the people that it's for. Yeah, like I mean, I'm sure there's like four or five people that really genuinely like uh, Squirrel Girl, and you know, I mean, I hey, dude, my my nieces love some Squirrel Girl. See, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, which is uh, good because you know we do need to open up new avenues. I just think that the conundrum there is that the delivery mechanism for comics still doesn't really lend itself to finding those audiences uh, with ease. But, uh, but I still, I still like the endeavor. I like the attempt. No, for sure. You gotta have, you gotta have people who, who bring it to them. Yeah. Um, you got, you gotta have, you know, a lot of people listen to this show. Uh, if you've got kids, you know, if you're taking the time to listen to 
EOC, then you love comics and you really love what this is, and you're probably already bringing comics to the kids in your life anyway. You got to do that in general. I mean, you know, there's a lot of conversations to be had about getting comics into to places like Walmart, into places like GameStop. Uh, Five Below is selling some comics and, and, and getting them outside of the already accepted readership. Uh, one of the biggest problems in the comic, we're, we're having a massive conversation in the industry right now about your local comic shop versus the publisher and how to increase sales and Comics aren't dying. They're a billion-dollar industry. Uh, there's there's money to be had, money to be made. It's just evolving, in my, in my opinion. And this this massive conversation about whether or not it's the fault of the the publishers or the fault of your local comic shop. The reason a lot of comic shops are shutting down. You have to advertise outside of your own customer base. If you're only advertising to your own customer base, then the only way you can go is down. You have to reach out and you have to grab the people that don't know that they want the thing that you're selling. Um, and that's something the industry has to figure out. And you know, there's lots of ways to do that, be it digital, you know, the scholastic thing, getting books in libraries. There's there's lots of ways. It's just we're in a limbo. We're in flux. We don't know. We don't know where we're going and how we're going to get there. But comics are definitely not dying, um, and the new generation is going to learn to love them in some aspect. You know, just we don't know what that aspect is. I completely agree. The only caveat is that I think that, uh, and people are probably tired of me making this rant. I think that uh, piracy is. Uh, an incredible problem oh, for comics. No, I hope more, more than other mediums because it's it's so low bandwidth and uh, uh, it's still hard in a lot of places in the world to pirate movies and stuff. I mean, in the U.S. it's not hard because everybody's got bandwidth, but but in a lot of parts of the world that don't have bandwidth, a lot of piracy is still hard. It is easy for almost anyone with an internet connection to pirate every comic book in seconds, and uh, I don't care what anybody tells me about. It's not a big deal. If you Google any comic book, the first ten links are hot links to download them illegally. So I, I, I just I, I conservatively believe that ten times the people read comics than pay for them. Conservatively, I think that's a that's a conservative estimate. Well, you go to any any uh, social media site and you, you click on there, and if you happen to be you know if you've got some level of self hate that you want to delve into the comment section and flog yourself for that. Look at the number of people who are commenting who are current on what's going on. And then, you know, do a little research and scroll back and find out how many of those people are the same people who are saying that they haven't bought comics in 10 years. You don't have this, you don't have this massive readership. You don't have this, this culture of, of current information if people aren't reading it and the sales aren't reflecting that, uh, at least in my opinion. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, and, and, you know, full disclosure, to be fair, I am a fan of this show and I'm a, uh, like I, I read the stuff that Jason writes. Uh, I, I look at what he says and I, I take a lot of that and, and research it. Like I don't just take it for, for what it is, but you know, I look into it and, you know, a lot of times, like you, you're a very knowledgeable man. You're, you don't say things without having the numbers to back it up. And at least for what I've seen, you're right. Like that, that, that's an absolute fact. The fact, you know, we, we live in an age where the, the 
the money does not reflect the information that is present. Like there's there's something wrong there. We're missing a step. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. All right. We're going to bring it up, though, Dap. We don't want to bring it down. Give us I something else. Shot to my blew. wine bottle. My wine no, bottle. No, give us something else that blew your panties off. Dad. <laughs> oh man, it blew my panties off. Um, I. Ooh, uh, right. Other than your real estate attorney. Yeah. <laughs> and Captain <laughs> Confederacy. Finally. Um. The. I was kind of let down by. One particular art. It's not blowing your panties up. No, I'm not. I was going to say, so I'm not. It's because it hurts because it's still in my in my list. But what I will say is, here's something from Aftershock, which um, I tried on a whim because Aftershock has been well, bluntly been blowing my mind, especially with things like a walk through hell. But this is um, this is written by co-creator Elliot Rahal and drawn by co-creator Jorge Fornes and it is Hot Lunch Special number one. Um, because the cover might cause you to not try this issue because the cover is a, a sandwich um, with a couple of fingers sticking out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, Ellie's original sandwich shop, best food in town since 1950. Um, and the story opens in uh, Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Uh, someone grabs a sandwich out of the vending machine, bites into it to find a, um, a finger or half of the finger in, in the sandwich. Uh, we get a flashback two years ago um, where uh, Michael Corey, the great-grandfather of the person telling this story, um, was uh, was in the Second World War, uh, came home, and um, started dating Ruth Hayek. Uh, Ruth's father is David Hayek, uh, the most infamous Lebanese gangster in the upper northern Midwest, uh, referred to by everyone as the Arab. Uh, he was a bootlegger, ran all the bingo halls. Uh, he wanted to meet Ruth's boyfriend, Michael. Um, naturally, uh, he was very protective of his daughter, only wanted her to have the best. Uh, made uh, Michael an offer, basically, that he couldn't refuse. And um, so Michael kind of got involved in uh, his girlfriend's father's family business. Um, they uh, they basically took care of business and uh, we're now in the present day where um, Ely in, in Minnesota is basically telling a story about his um his family family history kind of presentation book report kind of thing um and uh he teacher was kind of uh, i don't want to say maybe the teacher wasn't all that impressed uh with 
uh, Eli's presentation. Uh, but basically, you know, if there's anything you want to talk about regarding, you know, your family and mobsters, you can always, uh, you know, come to me if, if, uh, if there are problems at home, things like that. Um, but, you know, he, he, uh, mom picks Eli up from school and they go to, uh, they go to the sandwich shop to work. Um, but what's, what's interesting is the, the, uh, the Corys are still kind of running things and, and they, um, they own a, a few distribution company and that's kind of where the fingers and, and sandwiches come into play um, there are it's on the surface I think if, if, if you kind of dig the TV show Fargo you might enjoy this book but it, it, it's you know, the way the characters are woven into each other's lives and, and who, who we kind of focus on with the story, it, it doesn't really feel all that um, married to the mob kind of thing. It, it's it's. I don't want to say it's a straightforward story, but you're, it's the first issue. You're getting introduced to these characters. Um, the sheriff's office is trying to figure out you know, why there was a finger in the sandwich from the vending machine, and 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 obviously. Some detective work is involved to find out, you know, where the sandwich came from and, and where, um, who the finger belongs to and, and try to get to the source and, and to the heart of the matter. Um, but by the end of the issue, we're, we're kind of, um, we're, we're seeing how these characters' lives are, are kind of interact with one another. Um, but the end of the issue is, is kind of, a uh, a pretty interesting cliffhanger because while Eli is, is cleaning up and closing up the sandwich shop for the night, um, a couple of guys get out of uh, get out of a car and and basically um, unload their machine guns into the storefront and and that's that's where the issue ends. So it was it it's it wasn't I I I thought the art was on was 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 really good to telling this story um i want to know more about the characters involved because there were a lot of characters that we were introduced to in this first issue um kind of like a walk through hell where i don't i'm i'm touching on some points here and there but i'm, I'm trying not to to give too much away because i i'm sure i missed something that um not, not, not that it makes the story... I didn't miss something in the sense that, that, that now I'm lost. It's just I... Me not touching on something. Um, a walk through hell is dense. So if it's like that, I completely understand what you're saying. I don't know if I want to say it's dense. Because there, there are fewer characters in a walk through hell than there are in this. Um, but there's just... I, this is a book where I think you kind of just really have to pay attention to what people are saying and who and to who is saying it and mm -hmm. uh, it's very easy i think to because there are some chatty motherfuckers in this book you might 
lose a thread here and there. And um, this isn't the kind of story, I think, based on this issue, that you can kind of sell someone on in one issue. I, I, I think I think things will come together as the story progresses and, mm-hmm. and then, you know, the light bulb might go off. But I think as far as a first issue goes to try to hook you, I think it did that because you're going to want to come back to see what happens to these characters or see where, because, I mean, the threads that, that they plant seeds in the first couple pages that mm-hmm. they really don't go back to for the rest of the issue. So, um, you know, props to, to the creators for that. But, you know, I, Aftershock is, is like, I just, there, there, you cannot, like, you kind of get a feel for the kind of books that Boom puts out or that Oni or Dark Horse, but, but Aftershock is kind of just, it, they're almost like image in the sense where you're not getting one sort, I mean, they, they had Buns, you know, on Holy Grail and the Brothers mm-hmm. of Cool and, and, and Brothers, and, yeah. And, I mean, the Ellis book and the Hester book, and, and so there's just, you know, Aftershock is kind of just telling stories, and, and that's cool. And whereas, you know, Avatar gives you things like, you know, Cross and, and, and things in that vein, and, and even, um, you know, most publishers, you get a vibe for, for what they kind of put out. And um, you, you really cannot put Aftershock in, in any sort of box. So um, uh, I'll, I definitely uh, recommend hot lump special but um it, it's it, it's not a book that everybody is, is going to dig so um but yes that that is definitely it, it is a book that uh blew my panties off i think i think aftershock kind of goes after the creator and not the subject yes because they get some they get some big names they do right? oh definitely like, yeah, yeah. Like you just mm-hmm. yeah you just read off a kind of a who's who's list of who's hot in comics and and they're all writing books that are there's no line in between them they're 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 way different subject matters aftershock feels like to me they have the creators and are telling the kind of stories that i think legendary wanted to do if they weren't so focused on having their books become movies right right it's kind of just letting creators tell the stories they want to tell. Yeah, I mean, yeah. well, and, and that's the image model in, in a lot of sense, and and maybe it's just, it, it seems different because it's a different publisher, but it, they, they really are just kind of, they're doing a really good job of attracting a, a who's who of talent in modern comics. Yeah, I agree, and, and I think that uh, with it. it's hit or miss for me, but, I, I, but I, I love the attempts. Like, I'm not mad at the times they're striking out with me, I'm not mad at it. Like I, I like that right. there, there, there's another venue for creators to tell their stories that aren't necessarily um, clear slam dunk commercial successes and waiting. So, well, and like you, like you said earlier, we are not at want for good comics, right? No, no, there we're are not. There is so much. Like when when I go into my LCS or even when I look at my pull list. There's so much good. Yeah, I mean, there's I, so much good that I'm not reading because I don't have the. I mean, you know, full. You know, I'm I'm back in school right now. I'm trying to do that whole uh, non-traditional student thing. So all my books get bought with student loan money. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> oh, you know, I'm doing the smart thing. <laughs> uh, 
but there's so much stuff that I want to read that I, I don't have room mm-hmm. for. And, and a lot of that is aftershock. It's yeah. Just, I mean, not to, uh, cause it, it, we don't have to go down this rabbit hole too, too much, but, but you just made me think of the comments that Dio made, uh, this week where he said that the comic market saturated. And I just, I, I, I gave the biggest side I ever to that. It's like, Yes, it is saturated, and it is saturated in the direct market because Marvel and DC has spent the last 20 years saturating it. Like, And again, I'm a huge DC fan. I'm a huge Marvel fan. I don't blame them. I understand why they do it. I understand how it got to this point. I'm not suggesting that they're wrong for doing it. I, it there's their, their own motivations probably warrant it, but it just cracks me up when I hear one of the powers that be at those places lament the saturation because... Right. Um, as you just alluded, there, there is no lack for incredible comics. And whether that's because people are vibing on the superheroes or because there, but there's certainly never been a more readily available uh, group of high quality comics that aren't superhero comics ever. Oh. Period. Even in the, even in the great black and white era and stuff, those comics were still mainly only available in small print runs in the direct market. Now, because of digital and Comixology and and Kindle and and the unlimited stores, you, you know you can get these books a million places that you couldn't get before. And, and I think that uh, that the saturation is a self-imposed issue, and the people that have total control over that are the ones that are complaining about it. So, right. if DC and Marvel really think saturation is the problem. They have control because they're the ones that put out 80 to 90 titles a month. So cut that back to whatever number you think. And, you know, their argument is like, oh, well, if we cut if we cut back, those shelves will just fill with other people's stuff. Maybe, maybe. But you're I mean, but that's not really true. I mean, but if you're using a saturation argument, you can't make that excuse. (laughs) No, exactly. Yeah, precisely. I mean, if 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 the game is we're going to make as many comics as there's marginal demand for. That's fine. Then you're you're choosing to saturate the market, and that's a perfectly re- if you're a monopoly or a oligopoly, that is a purely rational decision, right? Like, there's a reason why Marvel and DC put out a handful of comics each month that sell poorly and are right at the Mendoza line for getting canceled, and then when they get canceled, they re up because basically they both say to themselves, it costs us X dollars to make a book, and there's there's we need to sell X number of copies to break even and they will put out as many books as they can until they get to the point where a handful of the books are below that line. And the reason they do that is because by doing that, they are in their minds guaranteeing the maximum amount of profit possible in their line every month. It's that simple. They just make as many books as they can until it gets to the point where making a book is no longer economic. And if that's 20 books, they put out 22 books. If it's 90 books, they'll put out 100 books. That's just what they do. And again, I don't think it's wrong of them to do it, but then don't complain about it. Like, don't, 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 don't make it seem like, woe is me. And if, but for all these other people trying to put out their own stuff, we'd be, we'd be in business. I mean, it's BS. Right. Well, and especially when so many of those books are books that are geared towards minority groups. Uh, and I mean that both in the, in the way you think I do and in just niche markets. Mm-hmm. You know, so they're they're throwing a small number of people. I don't even want to say throwing a bone. That's that's that doesn't sound right. But you're you're making a book that you know is not going to be overwhelmingly a success because you know that there is a group of people out there who will enjoy it, 
and it makes sense on your spreadsheet. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Do that. <laughs> My other pet peeve is the never-ending sea of, oh, this comic is going back to print. They put that out to imply that there's such great demand for it that right. <laughs> the the reason that books like Marvel and DC books go back to print five times is because they print to order, guys. Like they have final order cutoff. They know literally how many copies they're going to sell before the book is printed, and then they print that number mm-hmm. and a little bit of overage. And then those books, if they're even have a minute amount of popularity, are not available because each store ordered X copies because they can't afford these days to order a bunch to sit on the shelves. And then customers walk in the store and say, oh, hey, do you have uh, Acme Comics number one? I heard it was good. And then the LCPS says, I don't because we got five pre-orders for it and they're already sold, but I'm happy to order it for you. Great, why don't you order it for me? And then they all go back and tell Marvel, hey, we'd like another 10 copies of Acme number one. So Marvel tallies those up and they say, oh, damn, there's another 5,000 copies of Acme number one that we need to print. And they go and print it again. Like, it's not like, it's not like they all print 100,000 copies and then it blows off the shelves and they have to go rush to go back and make an emergency print run. That's the game now. It's print on demand. There's nothing special about the sellout. It would be disappointing if they didn't sell out. That's the goal now is to sell out of every issue that they print. So stop posting sellout press releases, please, please. <laughs> It's ridiculous. Unless it's for books I want to come back. It's fine. No, I mean, there's nothing, <laughs> there's nothing wrong with a book going back to print five times. But from a, the business hat on me, that, that there's nothing. All that means is that it, things are going according to plan. That's all that means. It's all that means. It doesn't mean that things are going gangbusters. Yeah, I mean, it's, it, that those things are for the layman reader, right? I mean, and that's no offense to anybody. Yeah, but is there a layman comic fan, though? Like, like what... what who, who even notices uh, announcements about books going back to print other than hardcore comic geeks? That's a good point. Right? A, I mean, yeah. is, your niece, is your niece on Google being like, oh, snap, Dad, or uh, Uncle, uh, Uncle Caleb, <laughs> uh, Venom, Venom went back to print uh, five times. Holy crap. I mean, yeah. not yet, but I'm working on her. <laughs> uh, okay, who knows? <laughs> she will someday. But no, you're right. Yeah, you, you have to be plugged into that. Again, that goes back to the whole you're you're advertising to your own customer base, right? Right. Th- those people are buying your books anyway. Totes. All right, there, producer. Ready bring to bring us, on us home. home. So, thank you, everybody, for listening this evening. Uh, we will be back next week. In the meantime, though, we have our in your travels. So, um, I'm going to, actually, I'm going to let our guest kick it off tonight. There you go. Uh, I, I am honored. So, first off, I want to thank you guys for having me on the show tonight. It, it means a lot. Uh, I've been listening to you guys for a long time. I, I absolutely love this show. I love what it does for my... For, for the comics community, but also just for my general life, man. I, we've already talked about the Facebook page. And so, I, let me back up. I'm taking on a road trip for my in your travels. We're going to travel. First off, pull off the side of the road to the Facebook page on the EOC group. Uh, it's an amazing place. The, the internet can be a, a hub of toxicity. 
the 11 o'clock comics group is a breath of fresh air in that realm. Uh, it, it is, it, it really is well put together. There are some amazing people on there. Uh, people like Bill and Wendy who, who I've become very good friends with and just a number of folks. Uh, so, so do yourself a favor. If you, if you're not a part of the Facebook group, do that because it is, it's wonderful. It, it really is. There, there are good people there. Even, even when you disagree with people, it is in, in such a way that people you disagree with take time to hear what you're saying and they try to, there's a communication and that doesn't happen a lot on the internet. So it's worth it. So do it. Uh, the next in place on this little journey we're going through is stop off and listen to my personal podcast, <laughs> uh, which the guys that I can shield. So I'm going to, um, run a, run a podcast with four of my friends. It's called Southern fried geekery. You can Google that and, and you'll find it. We're on lips and we're on everything else. It's a lot. It's a lot like this show. Um, imitation is the finest form of flattery. Mm -hmm. and that's, that's a nice way of saying I like what the guys do. So I stole a lot of it. Uh, <laughs> so, um, we try to talk about a variety of things, not just comics, but nerd culture, geek culture, anime, manga, comics, TV, movies, wrestling, whatever. We try to dive into a little bit of it all, um, and, and we have a really good time. Just basically us kind of doing the same thing that the, the boys do. We get together with people that we enjoy, and we have conversations. 32 episodes and counting. It, yeah, yeah. Um, and we finally figured out how not to sound like crap. So that's a good thing. Um, cause I'm the producer of that show and I am not <laughs> meant to be that. Uh, the, the, the third stop on the, in your travels and I'm taking advantage of this. Uh, I work with a nonprofit here in little rock. We're called the van. Uh, essentially our mission is to meet the immediate needs of unsheltered and homeless people as immediately as possible. We stock a van full of, Hygiene items, clothes, blankets, what have you. Things that you might need to make it from one day to the next. And we give it to them. We don't charge. We don't ask for an ID. We, you know, no rules, no apologies, just help. I don't care if you're living on the street because of mistakes that you have made or because life is hard. Uh, no, nothing is going to disqualify you from getting your help. I don't care if you're dealing with mental illness. I don't care if you're dealing with addiction. I don't care if you're just a person who's generally in a bad mood. Uh, I'll still give you a pair of pants and a shirt and a pair of socks and some shoes and a blanket because you, you're human and you deserve the right to make it from one night to the next. And so if you, if that is something that you think you can get into, go to at, uh, go to it's org or look up at it's the van, uh, because we're a grassroots group and we, we're all volunteer based. I, none of us make any money. We just do what we do because folks outside are human and need some need some dignity and some love. And we try to give that to them. And lastly, swing over to kingbonepress.com because this this actually springs out of the the Facebook group. There is a small press publisher called Kingbone Press. Uh, Guys like Brian Boyles and John Westhoff have produced books. Uh, one of my favorites is Hellbillies, and they mm -hmm. just did a really successful Kickstarter where they uh, they put all of it together into a really, really, really well put together book. Um, it's a phenomenal story. Some of my I, I run a podcast called Southern Fried Geekery, so I really like when Southern culture is spoken about in, in, in good ways and bad ways. You know, because all of it's real. Uh, this book is about the Conway family. It's kind of a supernatural 
uh, story, a little bit redneck, a little bit sophisticated, really well put together, really fun. You can order this book, and actually, I think the guys put together a, the guys from Kingdom Press put together a package that they posted on the Facebook group, and if you go on there right now, uh, you can get it, you can pledge a dollar, but then type in the special code EOC and get special 11 o'clock comics themed comics for free. Uh, a series that they put out, um, that they posted, I want to say uh, Westhoff posted it a little bit ago, and with, with instructions how to do that. Go give those guys some love because they're great comics creators and they're really good people and they're friends of mine who I've made through this this community that that you guys have built and I'm eternally grateful and uh, I, again I can't thank you enough for letting me be a part of just this one episode. Uh, I got goosebumps when Dap messaged me asked me if I wanted to. Um, this is this is kind of a dream come true for me and I'm fanboying real hard. <laughs> Oh, thanks, man. That was very nice. Dad? Um, this was a, um, this was something that I saw in previews. It was part of, uh, my video to the patrons with the previews pick. Um, and Vince actually, well, for lack of a better term, he wasn't, uh, all that enamored with the preview pages uh, it's published by IDW it is an adaptation of the Lawrence Block novel Eight Million Ways to Die which is a Matthew Scudder mystery it is adapted and illustrated by John K. Snyder III um, there was a movie in the 80s where they replaced the word 8 with the number 8 uh, Eight Million Ways to Die starring Jeff Bridges and Andy Garcia um, I don't remember that movie I'm sure I saw it on HBO at some point in my life but um, Block doesn't have a whole lot of nice to say about that movie other than that uh, it basically paid off a mortgage but the um, there was a uh, another um, Matthew Scudder book turned into a movie starring Liam Neeson in 2014, which was A Walk Among the Tombstones, uh, which I believe I did see most of. But this is a, uh, it's a smaller size. It, it, it's kind of the halfway point between a the format of a, of a standard size comic book and a, um, and a manga digest. It, it's, it's a small hardcover uh, the illustration is is great. There are some parts of it that remind me. Uh, it doesn't look anything like uh, the J.K. Snyder that uh, you may know from the Grendel series from uh, the the '90s. This is um, th this has some moments where it kind of reminds me of Phil Noto, but with life, and it reminds me of uh, like Simone uh, Bianchi. It's um, the, the colors are it's it's set in the um, it's New York in 1982 and Scudder uh, there's a whole series of, of Matthew Scudder mystery novels uh, but this particular you don't really need to know that for um, to read this story and it is a mystery um, hookers are killed Scudder is trying to solve 
this mystery basically out of um, out of a sense of uh, kind of out of guilt. Uh, there's a woman, um, Kim, who Scudder is a former cop, um, no longer a, a uh, police detective. He is now. Um, he's not even really a private eye because he has to be licensed. So he just he, he helps people. He does favors. Um, and Kim is a prostitute who asks Matt to help her talk to her pimp, Chance, because she wants out of the life. And um, she's concerned that Chance, he won't beat her, but that he'll just persuade her to stay. And she doesn't want that. So Matt does talk to Chance. Chance is like, dude, you know, she wants to go. It's it's free country. It's fine. You know, there's no, no harm's going to come to her. I'll... I can replace her with another half dozen chicks coming off the bus in, in no time, mm-hmm. so it's all good. Um, so he goes to Kim's apartment and says, listen, you know, you're free. It's all good. Chance will leave you alone. Uh, she repays him with um, the rest of the money she owes him and and, uh, and some more. Um, but it turns out that uh, as he's reading the paper um, a day or so later, She's found dead in her apartment. And, um, you know, the, the, the logical conclusion would be that Chance maybe took it upon himself, um, wasn't really so inclined to let her go. Um, but things aren't always what they seem. And, and other, uh, the, the way the mystery kind of unravels is, um, is I... The way, I never read the original novel, but the way Snyder um, tells the story and, and has the, um, I don't know how much word for word he has all the characters saying what they're saying, or, or if Matt, um, I'm pretty sure the Scudder novels are, are told in the first person as well, and, and Matt's pretty much narrating this story as well. Um, but the uh, the way the way everything unfolds is, is it's it, it kind of it, it gets its its hooks in you again, and it really doesn't. I I read this over two nights. It, it's a hundred and some odd pages, and um, it was late when I started reading it. So I got about halfway through, and then I finished it the next night, and and I I really couldn't put it down. Snyder's color choices for a lot of um, for, for setting the stage for some of the scenes uh, really it, it, they're kind of muted. There's some grays. Um, my time in New York, you'll you'll get the you'll get some light flashing into a room or bouncing around based on, on police lights or uh, traffic lights or just for anything. And um, I think it really really set the tone. And, and the way Matt goes around and introduces himself and, and talks to people to try to get to the bottom of things. There's uh, Kim's neighbor, because Kim had a cat. Uh, that Matt saw the night he was there, and then when he went back to to case the joint to um, to investigate, there was no cat, there was no litter pan, so um, went back the next night and to do some more snooping and found out that uh, his neighbor, her neighbor, Kim's neighbor, uh, took the cat in. But um, while they're having a conversation, there's a part, one of the panels, which really kind of. Um, stuck out to me and, and I know that, that 
Jason works in the city, but is not a big fan of New York City. Whereas if if my wife and I could, we probably would be living in New York City. And um, there's and this is 1982, so but I think it's still it applies not just to New York but pretty much the world where where the neighbor um, when, when Matt's talking to her, he says. Um, you know, if, if, if um, he's trying to find out if maybe it was her pimp who, who killed her. And um, the neighbor says, I, I try not to think about her having been killed or why it happened. Uh, you know, New Yorkers, we live here for whatever it is the city provides, the culture, the job opportunities, whatever it is. And, and we look the other way when the city kills off our friends and neighbors. Oh, we read about it. We talk about it for a day or two, but then we blank it all away because otherwise we'd have to do something about it and we can't or we have to move and we don't want to move. And and it was just like, that's it. It, it was short and to the point and it was kind of blunt, but it, it definitely probably when this book was written, it um, I, I could see definitely that being an attitude and, and overall, and it kind of reminds me of, um, the, the, the moment in uh, the second issue of Superman where he's talking about whether or not he can turn things off and, and he could but then he doesn't want to and the reasons why and, and that's that's kind of the world we live in now where you know we can you can either just let it all in all, all the all the, the atrocities and, and the, the heinousness of the world or we can we have to pick and choose what we can kind of turn off but the the way Snyder draws the women in this book, um, I ain't mad at at all. The uh, I, I think you know the way. It, basically, when I finished this, I felt like looking up other Scudder prose books to read to continue this story. And there's a moment where um, a lot of the a lot of this particular story is. Um, Scudder fighting his um, his alcoholism, and he uh, and even Block mentions it. How when he started writing the stories, he uh, you know the drinking was just a part of it because at the end of the day or whatever, Matt would go to the bar have a drink. Um, but then I guess the way characters end up, you know, letting you know how their stories should be told. Um, it just got to a point where Scudder couldn't keep drinking. And um, he's, there are, there are moments in, in this, in this book where he does go to, uh, to meetings and he never, he never says, you know, he, he, he says his name is Matt, but he'll pass the story for another night. He's not going to talk. And, and, um, Finally, he, he just has to kind of let it out at, at the end of the issue. But uh, I thought it was a really well done graphic novel, whether um, both from the art perspective and I, a part of it reminded me of what Cook did with the Parker uh, adaptations. But it's um, it's it's very text heavy. There are some there are a lot of pages where uh, you'll just have like Scudder walking under a lamppost or, or looking over his shoulder and then there's like a, a block of text running down the other half 
of the panel. So there, there's a lot of reading involved. It's not it, it's not really a kind of book where you're going to follow the story sequentially, graphically, but it's um, until th- th- there is some action towards the end. Uh, but I thought it was a um, thought it was a real solid adaptation. Saying that, not reading the source material, so I don't know where um, where Snyder may have may have strayed or or uh, cut corners to keep things moving. But I I definitely feel like it moved along pretty well. So, A Million Ways to Die by IDW and John K. Snyder the Third. There you go. Friggin' love leper right there. Look at you. Um, well, first of all, uh, in in your travels, I hope you all do avail yourself of the many places you can find Caleb, because I hope that over the last few hours it's uh, conveyed why he has become such a uh, a good buddy uh, and and someone that we do treasure having uh, as part of the crew. So. Uh, thanks so much for for coming on, man. It was uh, you, you were great. You were a natural. Um, now, as to book, I have an in your travels that uh, I think uh, is right up your alley, um, and that is uh, and that is a, a Marvel book. Because in keeping with uh, the need to speak about something Marvel, um, I did read one Marvel thing, and uh, it was good. And that is Extermination Number One. Oh, nice. Which is, um, it is an event, Uh, and I know grown everybody events, and I'm the same way, but uh, it's a good one. It's an X-Men book, I gotta read it, even if it's an event that flames out, but but one issue in, and I'm pleased. It is is written by Ed Brisson, with amazing, with the capital A, art by Pepe Larraz, with colors by Marte Gracia, and... Uh, there's something that Ed wrote in an interview about this and I will read it and then tell you that if he sticks to this, I'm going to be quite pleased much in the same way I was with uh, the Avengers joint that uh, we got no surrender. He says our mandate going into this was your back issues matter. Every single uncanny X-Men story involving the original five X-Men matters. If the X-Men are here, then they're not where they're supposed to be fighting those they're supposed to fight. What happens when that past starts to unravel? What's the butterfly effect on our present? So um, the simple way to think of this is this is the event that will bring an end to the nearly seven-year run of the original five X-Men being pulled out of their time stream and brought into the current day, which started when Bendis did it. Uh, I think we can all agree that as much as it's... uh, had its moments seven years is too long because it it would just destroy any sense of continuity that we, we ever knew. And, um, at the end of this, it's, uh, unless they pull a fast one, um, the original five will be sent back to their, to their past, to, to their, their, you know, and that we will, they'll be gone. So, um, this is that journey. And I went into it with just, minimal expectations uh and i came out really pleased with with what we got um it's visually stunning uh but i thought brisson told a well-paced uh story where i I thought the characterizations were a blast um you got young cyclops trying to get in where he fits in with with vampire aurora before he 
heads back to his 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 own timeline. Um, and and really, where this wrote me is that um, again that that big nostalgia monster that always seems to uh, drive so much of our enjoyment of these of these Marvel and DC books. Uh, Ahab and the Hounds. Ahab and the Hounds are there, and uh, they're they're wrecking havoc. And then there's a mysterious uh, hooded character who is also pissed off at how they fucked up the time stream. And he is uh, whooping their ass, uh, including, and I won't spoil it, but there is a death. And at least in the pages of this issue, it's a real death. Now, whether it sticks, no comic death ever sticks. But but for now, there was a major, major death. Like, holy shit major. And there were also a couple of less major deaths. And there was one abduction. But... Uh, there's a lot in this issue, man. We we it, it we get set up. We get some great characterization, and we get at the end of the issue the reveal of who this um, cloaked time traveler uh, is. And uh, I'm intrigued. I'm intrigued. I, I'm I'm aboard. Um, hopefully, I won't be disappointed uh, when the dust settles. But uh, but this first issue was a home run, visually and and story wise. Um, the, the only nitpick, and I don't know if if Caleb noticed or cared, but the only nitpick, and I know Daptus would probably put you right off. Um, cable, something happens to Cable, and uh, so at one point, um, young Gene and current Jean, who's now back from the dead, so X-Men Red Jean, are both there, and X-Men Red Jean sees what's happened to Cable, and she starts going on the soliloquy about how she is going to wreak havoc on those responsible because they messed with her son. And I was like, mm. I'm like, my dog, if you're going to tell me that this is this is an event that's given me that everything that's ever happened in the uncanny matters. You can't be giving me a soliloquy where, where Jean's talking about cable as her son. Cause it's not her son. Yeah. It's a little too late at that point. Yeah. I mean, it's not, it's not her son. It's, 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 it's Madeline's son. Cable's not Jean Gray's son. It's her clone son. So like, unless that got changed at some point in the continuity that I don't remember reading, I don't understand that. Like she never thought of Cable as her son. Like Cable is like a being. It's it'd be like if it'd be like if you were sixty years old and someone knocked on your door because they did ancestry and it turns out that they're your kid and you never knew you had. Like you might over time foster a relationship with them, but you're never gonna feel that paternal or maternal instinct as though they were your kid. Like in a way it's what her son would be because Madeline was a clone of her, but she didn't raise the kid. The kid came back, you know, as a full grown ass man. So I struggled with that part, especially because it's not her son. Like it's not even, it'd be one thing if Jean and Scott had the kid and then sent him off to the future, but she had no part in this. So I didn't like that. But other than that, and I'm willing to look past that. I'm over it. Uh, I thought it was hot. I thought it was super hot fire. That's awesome. What'd you think? Yeah, I'm I'm on board. 
hard. Yeah, I, I noticed that, but it was like, okay, so you're, you're trying for baby mama drama. I, I, I get no, it. No, I know, I know, but and I can look past it's it. not her baby mama. No, I, no, it, no, for it, sure. It, like it, I, it, I, I, no, I, I'm saying I, I get what they were trying yeah. for. It didn't work. You, you try some things. Uh, you know, I don't want to sound like a Cat Williams bit, but <laughs> you try some stuff. Some stuff doesn't work, uh, and and you just move on. But uh, no diggity. I'm I'm down with this. Uh, Marvel events are kind of cool right now. Pepe is a goddamn beast. Oh, dude, I need to get that. Oh my god, I need to get that real bad. Whew. He puts it down. It's ridiculous. So crisp and clean. It's hot. Love it. So there you go. There we go. Safe that, travels, everybody. That. So, thank you again, Caleb. It has been amazing. And I, th- nah, the, the thanks is, is all on me. Uh, I can't thank you guys enough. Uh, this has been this has been awesome. Oh, for, for, for lack of any better terminology, this has been amazing. Uh, you know, listen to you guys all the time and several moments and I've had to pinch myself and be like, okay, you're not listening to a podcast. You're listening. You're, you're, you're talking to your friends. So say some profound bullshit and don't get some like dul- You got some dulcet tones, man. <laughs> you're in the rotation now. It's uh, it's all good. <laughs> Love it. Uh, so yeah, so um, we will be back next week uh, Vince should be back next week as long as uh, I don't know he might decide to just retire down he might, yeah he might or he'll end up in a cage but yeah he'll he'll be back next week <laughs> and uh, we will um, like I said we'll have our book of the month in two weeks uh, we after the question is if Vince gets kidnapped down there are we willing to use the Patreon funds to free him <laughs> I think well that's, uh, yes. I mean, I. I would. That's how much I love him. I right. That's what I'm saying. I mean, I, I, I'm already on, uh, on pretty much no, uh, no spending at cons for a while. So that, that, that's, that's what you would have to, uh, <laughs> have to come to terms with. But without a doubt, of course, we would. Uh, I think we might even be able to, actually. Put a new tier in there to see if uh, we got any ninjas who would go down. Oh, uh, dude, we could we could start a thousand dollar free Vince tier, and it would probably. Oh shit! It's true. Oh shit! Help us, Pro- uh, like a proof of life. Yes, that's awesome. Oh man! So, thanks for listening, folks. We will be back next week. We had a blast as yes. always, and um, I'm going to. Uh, Say good night, Caleb. Good night, Caleb. I'll allow it. I'll it I, I, I was off. I was off. It's all right. Hey, it happens to the I'm, best of us. So I'm new at the game. Right. New at the game. That's right. I'm a, I, I'm a Cowboys fan. I only expect mediocrity. Oh damn! I'm, I didn't. <laughs> Talk about that until the end. Right. right. I, I, I saved that just for you, buddy. My, my, my wife's a cowboy. I actually just wrote up this week's Dallas uh, training camp excursions. Ooh. No, it was a good week. Was it? Yeah, Dak had a good week after two bad weeks. That makes me happy. Building some chemistry with Alan Hearns. 
All right, so the next two hours is just us talking football. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, love you guys. Seriously, thank you for same, being here. Same, man. Absolutely you same. You have yourself a wonderful evening. Yeah. Uh, you know, my wine bottle's empty, so I'm either going to crack open a new one or go play with the dogs. Yeah, play with the dogs. I'm, I yeah. Got, I, I, got, I got business to take care of. I got to go to bed. Yeah. I hear that. All right, guys. All right, good thank job, you everybody. so much. This was fun. Peace and love, everybody. Yes, sir. Bye, y'all. Bye, Dad. Bye, Carol. <laughs> <laughs>